Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcast On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and Rich Latta from One Nation Radio. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the nights two through four of the G1 Climax, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by Power Slam TV. Power Slam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free. And make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash SOCIALSUPLEX. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt as well as t-shirts from the other shows here on the network. And like I mentioned in the intro, by popular demand, we have returning guests, Rich Latta. What is going on, people? It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. <laughs> Without some hot takes to step two. <laughs> step two, step two, step two. Here's what I want to say. If you guys are going to wind up buying a shirt on uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, and I know you are, Buy our shirt. Do not buy the other shows on the network shirts because those proceeds help us. And uh, I just got one thing to say. Rich Ladder, you can go to hell. (laughs) Emerging from hell, I'm back. (laughs) I think the question everybody wants to know is, like, do we have heat? Because I've been bearing you on the show every single week. I mean... I don't, I don't think so. Uh, we're, we're together here now sharing a white claw, a word to Joe Janela. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I got everybody claws. You guys had to know. Yeah, we had to see what uh, it was hitting for. So hopefully we don't um, end up like Enzo and uh, Joe Janela uh, midway through the show, standing <laughs> up while Jeremy tries to uh, reel us in. Here's what I'll say. If we start a fight, I'm going to be backing up like a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Glad to be back, though, yeah, man. man. We've per- had several time. several listeners. You know, man, thank you guys for you know. Jeremy tells me every so often that uh, you guys think I did a good job on the show, or you guys want to hear me back. 
Just thank you. Glad, funny, glad you guys want to hear. The funny thing is they address Jeremy by name. They ask for you by name, and then I get called the other guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it tells you the hierarchy. Like I really am the young the young line of this show because I'm doing jobs. Oh man, yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm just gonna try to you know bring the normal energy and 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 uh, try to piss off Mr. ACP. I guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but let's like. Uh, Kick things off. We have a question here from Reddit user. We, we love ACP. Yeah, man, we, we love ACP. We, he, he knows we're messing with him. Uh, but Reddit user uh, Jar of Peanuts, he asks us, how easy or hard are you guys finding it to watch a tournament so far? I feel like by this time, with previous tournaments, my brother and I would start cherry-picking matches to watch, but we've watched every tournament match of the first four nights. Super proud of you, Jar of Peanuts. Uh... I have watched every single match of the entire tournament, as have you, gentlemen, I believe, correct? Yeah, I've watched I've watched all undercards. Me too. So I've cherry-picked the undercards, but I've watched all the singles matches. And this year, I think it's the a combination of their scheduling, of how far uh, the first day and the next three days, as well as when they did them. My strategy uh, was to watch everything in the morning as soon as I wake up, so I'm not tempted to fall asleep. Um, you know, if you watch New Japan late at night, That'll happen at, at times uh, on accident, whether you want to or not. But wake up 9 a.m., get it done by 11. It's usually two hours, the part that I'm talking about. And I, I haven't missed one so far, but so good job, Jar Peanuts. Hopefully yeah. this, they can keep this up. And that's pretty much what I've been doing. Like, wake up early, like especially on the weekends, like yep. Saturday, get up 8 o'clock, knock it out. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed, for the most part, this is not a hard and fast rule, but for the most part, it's either Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays... And then every once in a while they have a Wednesday show. This is a way more manageable schedule for most people, especially considering, like, the weekends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as far as, like, cherry picking, I think, like, sure, you could be cherry picking by this point. But, I mean, almost everybody was last year because you had to cherry pick them Jay White matches. You had to cherry pick them uh, Tamatonga. Th- those Tamatonga Bad matches, the Bad Luck Folly matches. So. Them, them 10 DQs he was getting. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been way easier to watch the shows this year, I would say. Yeah. What, what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a breeze. I, I'm glad there's been no gimmick of ruining the tournament, um, you know, this year. It's just been two relatively equal blocks and one shining a little bit more than the other. So. Yeah. I actually don't know which, like, I literally don't know which one you're talking about, to be honest with you, because I'm not sure which one's... I think A Block. Yeah, I, I think I came around to your side, Jeremy. I was like, I wanted to watch the second night of um, the B Block, and I'm thinking the A Block is going to be the... Um, the A Block, you guys think it's peaking a little bit higher right now? I think yeah. so. To start, at least. Yeah, at least as of right now, yeah. I, I really... That might be true if you just go pure star-like ratings, I suppose, but like... It's hard for me to tell because just watching them, they're such enjoyable and easy to watch shows that like, not nothing's dragging. I know we're early in, right. so and nothing's dragging. I'm just I'm just going based off my star ratings so far from from my ratings. A block has produced a little bit higher rated matches than the B block. And see, I haven't, and you you're probably right. I'm not contradicting you. I just haven't really kept up with that aspect of it. I'm just kind of going off gut. Which one do I feel like is? more enjoyable and I'm getting through both of them on the same level so I'm like yeah it's been really 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 good so far the only thing I will say we haven't gotten those classic highs that we got last year but the trade off is we don't have those bad matches so every night is more enjoyable and easier to get through it feels like yeah 
And then real quick, random question here. Jar Peanut says his other brother wants to know if you guys think half of a bagel counts as a slice of bread. If you cut a bagel in half, you should be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. If you cut a bagel in half, you're the, sp- the wrong way. Did you see the thing where the people were buying bagels for their offices, right? And they were cutting them, like, the the wrong way. Not in the middle. They were, like, slicing, slicing them the, the wrong oh. way. Okay. If that's what he's talking about, I don't... Your, your brother, he should be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> see, I didn't understand the, the context. Maybe he's not talking about Maybe that. Maybe he's not talking about that. So. Yeah. I, I literally don't know what to think about that. I'm like, well... What, why would I even care about that? Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he, he asked it. I figured I'd throw it out there and see if you guys had any wisdom on it. But. The only thing I could think is like maybe less calories, like maybe less carbs in your life. So maybe, but uh, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. Yeah, those those people were possessed. You know, what you need to do that. English muffins. That's the way to go. <laughs> With the Nutella. Ooh, God, I love me some Nutella on an English muffin. Oh my God, so yeah. good. But uh, let's uh, get moving along here, talking about these G1 nights. Uh, we're not going to break down any of the undercard matches, really, but I did want to highlight a few people uh, from the undercard. The C-Block. Yeah, the C-Block. Um, first of all, I want to talk about these L.A. Young Lions, man. The first time um, debuting in Japan, they've been in the L.A. Dojo training with Shibata, and these guys look Great man, these guys are on the same level as the um, home base young lions. Especially Carl Fredericks was the one that stood out to me. He's the one with the tattoos, a little bit taller. He, dude, that guy. They're gonna print money with Carl Fredericks. So, have you guys? I mean, I guess we should have done some research. Do 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 they have like extensive wrestling backgrounds before they joined the LA Dojo? I believe Clark Connors went to the Storm Academy and trained Lance Storm. Okay. I'm not sure what Carl Fredericks back. I feel like he's had some indie stuff as well. Well, the only reason I ask is because we know some people that debuted and did uh, not debuted, but uh, like I don't know what the word is, auditioned, I guess, or you know went down to the LA Dojo and did some seminars, things like that. We know that they're they have wrestling experience already. Um, a lot of the young lions that come through the uh, Japanese dojo or the Tokyo dojo uh, system generally don't have any sort of background for the most part. And so that might be playing into it. But I'll say that these L.A. Dojo guys, they look so polished. I, I'm, I'm willing to say, like, as great as the, uh, you know, the Japanese Young Lions are, these guys look m- more ready already. Um, and that's not to diminish how great the Young Lions are in Japan, but these guys look like they've been wrestling for years. Like, like yeah. their timing, their presence, everything like that, they look way more polished. You know, we had the big upset with Carl Fredericks uh, tapping out Ren Narita with a single-leg Boston Crab. That match was awesome. Um, my Like, dude, seeing them just go head-to-head with Shoto Mino and Ren Narita, um, that opening sequence, I don't... I, was it Carl Fredericks and, and Narita? Yeah. Bro, they looked like they went in there and, like, they were not working with each other. Not to say that they were, like sandbagging or no selling but they were just like it looked like an actual shoot wrestling match yeah and they weren't giving into anything like they were like stuffing takedowns and stuffing transitions and like working super super hard that's the stuff i like, yeah, I like they earn they earn their takedowns earn everything yeah and they were like yeah it's like they, they they told each group like don't give them anything make these guys look bad and they went in there and they were freaking <laughs> shooting like it was awesome yeah, well you want to win show them how bad you want to win yeah <laughs> 
We can do this one of two ways. The easy <laughs> way or the hard way. <laughs> but that match was really, really exciting. Those guys worked so well together. And as soon as they walked in, remember we were watching that night? I was like, Fredericks and uh, and um, what's the other guy? Clark name? Connors. Yeah, Fredericks and Connors look like they're about to fuck up these young lions. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they were, <laughs> and, and they were like because they were they're bigger and yeah. stronger. Like it was crazy. That that match was awesome. But I didn't expect them to pick up a win. Neither did I. I thought that they would have had you know Umino get the win on one of those guys. But no, man, our Carl Fredericks slapping on that the single leg crab. That really surprised me. There was a part of me that was like, well. Maybe throughout the tour, they're going to do a thing where it's sort of like a mini feud and they end up trading wins back and forth. But it doesn't seem like they've been across from each other too much since then. Uh, I'm, I know they they are going to be other nights of the tour, right? Yeah. So it, it remains to be seen. But, man, I mean, you've got the, the freaking, you know, New Japan, like, you know, dojo guys that are already so incredible. And then these L.A. young lions, like, look incredible. It's like... Man, the future's bright in New Japan. Yeah, it's looking good. Then we also had a Toa Hanare, who's been picking up some wins on the undercard with the Toa bottom, looking really good. Um, he's a guy, if he's, he's starting to look impressive again, if he can continue on this track, I wouldn't have a problem with Toa being in next year's G1. I wonder how good that match with him and Ishii was in Australia. I mean, you got to figure a couple guys are going to drop out of the G1 that are in there this year. So a couple spots will be open. Yeah. I mean... There are worse things you can do than giving a guy out of, a couple of years removed um, out of the dojo system a spot in the G1 to either A, beat him a bunch, and get him more experience. Like When, when you say that, do you mean like guys like some of the juniors who are in as like special guests or do you mean someone like like I don't think John Moxley, Moxley I don't think Moxley's yeah, going to be there Cobb who knows where right. he'll be um we you know and a lot of things can happen like as far as um you know Kento like we don't know we know how New Japan gets down right. like they don't sign anybody to like full contract sure everyone's a freelancer essentially no so. I I totally agree I wasn't sure if you were referring to like maybe some of the older guys because I was like I don't know it took a long time for some of those older guys to drop <laughs> out look and you listen to commentary shit if Goto don't do well seem like he's next so <laughs> well, we're, we're gonna talk about him but uh, one thing I'll say is like with Hanare. On this podcast, we have definitely lamented some things that we think could change with him, but I don't think that we've been extensively like, oh, this guy, like, written him off. Right. And I've listened to other shows and heard other fans who are like, "Who? I don't know what's going to happen with this guy. He's just missing something, blah, blah. And I'm like... Dude, he's been graduated for like a year and a half. Damn, give him like give him a moment. And also, like, like look at the reps that he's getting. To, he, yeah. is, is he getting opportunities to to stink? Is like he's not Yoshihashi, Here, and Yoshihashi's not terrible, but he's also not lighting like the world on. He's he's never moving culture. Let's say that. Yeah. I, I think one of the things with with Hanari is this: he's only been back from excursion, or you know, graduated for what pro- almost two years now. Right. Yeah. Um. But if you look at the trajectory of, like, let's say Tanahashi, I'm not saying he's going to be Tanahashi, but, like, for those of you who are, like, old school fans, it it wasn't, like, within a year or two, Tanahashi was Tanahashi, and then he was the savior, saving them from the Dark Ages. He had to take the mass beatings from Murakami and guys like that. Like, he had to, he had to like, go through the ranks before he became a top star. I think sometimes we're just a little bit impatient as yeah. fans. Yeah. And uh, I think that Hanari's been looking really good on this tour again. I will admit, though, 
in past tours, he has seemed a little bit uninspired and maybe like meandering, but his work has tightened up again and he's he, his like fitness looks good. Um, yeah, I see good things for Hanare. Yeah. And, and, and another like thing about Hanare is he's a future play. Uh, do you guys know how old he is? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll see if I don't we, we can pull sure, it up on the Google I'm, machine. You know, in regards to that, it's like he's he's not experienced like that. But we already know, like the outline is there for for who to- Hanari can be and what role he can grow into. He's a tough, crazy man. So there will always be room for that. Whenever uh, you know, you know, you know, Yuji Nagata, that type. Uh, he was born- Tomohiro Ishii, that that type. He was born in 1992. So that's like. So he's like 27. Yeah. So, look, I'm not saying he has all, like, you know, there's he doesn't have forever in front of him, but he still has plenty of time. He's not 30 yet. Now, here is one thing, though, that's interesting. He has been wrestling since 2010. Hmm. So he, he does have years under him, but I think, obviously, we know that working, like you said, the reps he's getting right now um, on the main roster and in the L.A. Doja, or like in... Uh, you know, Japan proper is a lot different than probably working like those New Zealand indies. Yeah, you know that, I mean? that almost doesn't count. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the next person, uh, the crown jewel, Chase Owens. I mean, this is a guy that we've been singing his praises forever on this show, and once again, he's another guy that's looking great on these undercards, picking up some wins with that package pile driver, and he's another guy I like to see get a crack in the G one next year. Any thoughts on Chase? Um, I would only like to see him in the G1 if they're going to position him for an actual push, not just a guy to take falls. Not that he wouldn't take falls, obviously, but like they've done wonders for Taichi in the past year where he's believable. Last year, if they would have put him in there, it would have been a joke. This year, it's not a joke. And I feel like if like this year they'd put him in there, it would have been a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So they've given him a push this year for sure. Um, but he's still not that he's not ready from an in-ring standpoint, but his character's not ready. And I don't think the people are ready either, right? Yeah. So I think that they do need to um, probably push him a bit more. He needs to capitalize a bit more on the opportunities that he is given. Not that he's done terrible, but he has wrestled like a lot of Southern style matches. And I don't know how much that translates to that fan base or that. I mean, I love those matches. Like, what the fuck does a uh, New Japan uh, uh, Japanese fan care about the South? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, oh yeah, Mid South wrestling. You know, yeah, but you know, the, the Chase Owens, the C Block legend. Yeah, you know that's. that's you know. He's looked really good on this tour, though. These tag matches, yeah. he's been delivering. Yeah, he's been solid. Uh, next, I want to talk about the developing relationship between John Moxley and Shooter Amino. Shooter, yes, Shooter. I love every single second of this. This is going to be even greater when Shota Umino is the IWGP champion one day and John Mosley comes back to fight him one day. We're going to play all these clips. We're going to watch Shota Umino looking awkward. We're going to see him carrying the IWGP championship with a Mosley shirt looking like a complete uh, jabron novice, essentially, that's been humbled by, by this weirdo from uh, America. Right. There's There's been so much to enjoy about it's this. It's Hilarious. About this gimmick, <laughs> but the first night that he walked out for for the B block on the second night, and all you could see from the camera angle was John Moxley, and then he steps out from the steps and behind him, 
holding the belt <laughs> with a Moxley shirt on. It showed Amino with like this stoic look on his face, like he's not happy to be doing yes. this. Bro, we just freaking lost it. Bro, I, like Moxley came out there, right? And he has the jacket on, but with no shirt underneath. And I'm like, where's the IWGP US title? Like, I understand he didn't bring it to uh, Fighter Fest or nothing, but fuck, this is news. Oh shit! Shota Amino has that thing. When I was talking to Jeremy, I was like, "There is serious big time money in a eventual one day feud between these two guys." Yeah. Like, and they can play these clips, like you said. The other thing too, um, with like Umino being his his young lion, it's like. I don't know. They they always play up how abused the young lions are and stuff. But there was actually a really good um, interview this week on Observer Radio with Juice Robinson. He was saying like once they kind of debut, they still have those duties, but a lot more respect is kind of given to them and stuff. So it feels like this is more like what we as North Americans like think what a young lion is treated like. You know what I mean? Like right. like this is like a gaijin coming in and treating like. Making this guy his personal young his personal young boy. Like, yes. you know, you're gonna carry my belt. You're gonna carry my bags. Wear the shirt. <laughs> it, it's such like a character of what a young lion Lost probably the balls. actually is. Yeah, <laughs> all that. You, you saw how he was rubbing his shoulders. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, the, the backstage uh, comments have been hilarious as well. Like, have you seen those? Yeah, like, hey, you're supposed to be feeding me lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it's, it's uh, great. They need a buddy cop movie. Yeah, and then a so, buddy cop movie. So, someone do the translations. And then, you know, the, the tag match that they had together, you know, even, you know, Umino ended up taking the pinfall and uh, Mox, you know, still helped him up and, you know, didn't, like, go crazy on him or anything. So, it's a nice little relationship they have going there. Also, um... In the in some of the tag matches that he's had separate ever since he started teaming with him on this tour, he's starting to show more of a heelish tendency, and it's like he's being corrupted slowly by uh, John Moxley. Like he even pushed one of the refs, and someone's like, "I'm pretty sure there's a code in that family not to do Push this sort of thing." Yeah. Like, <laughs> got back there, Reggie was like, "What the hell are you doing, son?" Yeah. And look, look, we'll know he's corrupted if he starts biting the opponent right. in the eyebrow line. So Start, starts pulling out the barbed wire. Yes, we'll know he's corrupted if he joins. Jay White's Bullet Club. No, we know he's corrupted if he gets one of them con contracts. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I, I would love the, the Shota Umino excursion to AEW. I, I would love it. Like, up next, we have Darby Allen versus Shota Umino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. They have to make sure they don't bury him like um, TNA did Okada. Oh, so. uh, yeah. You and mean Kato? Yeah, him. <laughs> uh, the last person I want to talk about from the undercard is Minoru Suzuki. This is a guy fans were outraged that he was left off of the G1 tournament this year. Um, not quite understanding why. You know, clearly, he still has it. And in these undercards, he has been destroying people. Um, you know, in the LIJ match, he was beating the crap out of Shingo, wearing Shingo Dude, out. Dude, I loved that matchup. Like, those two guys, I'm, like, I'm here all day for, like, a Shingo and uh, Minoru Suzuki match. Yeah, dude. Yeah, sign me up. Shingo and Suzuki. But, yeah, Suzuki has looked great. And it kind of makes you question, like, why didn't they find a spot for him? You know, we've speculated on it, and no one has a clear answer. Uh, we did When we did the uh, media scrum with Tanahashi, he did mention that, you know, a lot of the older wrestlers that... New Japan decided not to have them in, and that's the direction that they're taking it. So that might be a little bit of insight to, like, maybe it was 
a uh, you know a directive from New Japan Pro Wrestling. But even with that being the case, of all the guys that were excluded between him and Kojima, and him and Tenzan and Nakanishi and you know Makabe, he's the one guy that seemed like the most glaring omission. Yeah. The only thing I will say though is. We're used to him putting in so-so performances during um, during like actual G1 block matches, and he's putting in like harder efforts on these undercard tag matches. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. he, he's putting in more effort. Yeah, and I guess you know it maybe it's, it's a little bit you know easier too. He's only in the in the ring probably like five minutes compared to being in the ring you know let's say fifteen twenty minutes every other night. So you're saying it's like the uh, the Tamatanga effect. Yeah. Like, you kind of hide the guy, let him get in his big spots, and, and makes him look even better than, than like, you know, not to say not to diminish Maro Suzuki. That would be, like, blasphemous. But, you know, kind of make him look better because the limited amount of ring time he's getting. Right. He can go out there, you know, throw people in the guardrails, heavy forearms, heavy strikes, you know, get some undercard wins with the uh, gotch pile driver. Yeah, I... I just, um, there really hasn't been too much of a storyline. It just seems like he's really reinvigorated on this undercard. And um, I'm wondering if we're going to see a play-up between him and Liger at some point down the road during this tour. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at the undercards for the rest of the, the tournament to see if, uh, if, there, if there are any Suzuki-Liger matchups. But, uh, I mean, if I were them, I think pulling that off on the uh, G1 final night the, the very last night, Suzuki and Liger, I think that would be a great play. I think they're going to Wrestle Kingdom. They, yeah, they. I mean, they probably could be. They could be taking uh, the long play there. I mean, we've, we've been seeing this thing be extended for They've so long. They've extended it out for so long. Like the the I think the obvious move was to do it at um, Dominion. They didn't do it at Dominion, and now it seems like as far at holding it out for this long and keeping them apart. They probably they just need to do it at Wrestle Kingdom, right? I mean, the uh, G one finals will, will you know do well in numbers without a Suzuki Liger match there, and then you can make Liger's last match really special with this whole feud that it's literally been building for a year now, and um, you blow it off at the biggest show of the year. Absolutely. All right, so uh, now we're gonna start talking about the tournament matches. So we're gonna start off with uh, night two which was uh, the first night of the B block. And we opened up things with Juice Robinson defeating Shingo Takagi, 14 minutes and 40 seconds. Juice Robinson, the upper taker. (laughs) Yes. Yes, this man has come out here dressed in some of Bishop Don Magic Wand's finest. Dude. I don't even know who that is. Look it up. (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, Juice's new attire has been the, the talk of the internet, and several memes and comparisons to The Undertaker have been made. Uh, but you know, Juice still showing he's uh, flamboyant. Man, I don't know if that's a mortician or a man of the street <laughs> who traffics in women. Like, as, 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 you know, either one. Ju- Juice is uh. Juice is at a level where he can wear what he wants because he's been wearing outrageous shit for so long. This is just more juice. Listen, that that green outfit that he was pulling off, which he was barely actually pulling it off because it looked terrible. That furry crap. I mean, if he can wear that, this is such an upgrade. Like, I'm, I'm, I like this way better. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, yeah, this is definitely better than the green one. And actually, I think it's pretty cool. I'm kind of digging it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But yeah, so facing off Shingo here, Juice gets a big win here. And you know, it to to a lot of people, it might seem like it's an upset just based off the way Juice is normally booked and the way Shingo has been booked, you know, the last year. But when you think about it, you got a, a heavyweight, former, you know, two-time U.S. champion going against a junior. So maybe it shouldn't be in such a surprise. I think from a kayfabe standpoint, it's not an upset at all. From kayfabe standpoint, you're talking about a guy who has victories over the likes of Kenny Omega, Cody, AEW's finest. He's beaten some, but like in all honesty, he's beaten some of the best names that are out there, including Jay White, former IWGP champions. Now Shingo has a long storied career, but not in New Japan. He is in their canon a junior who is coming up to challenge. Now it was totally. This speaks to how well they've done with Shingo. It was totally believable and plausible that he would beat Juice. And I think for most people's brackets, they were anticipating that sort of upset. Mm -hmm. But Juice winning really isn't actually an upset from a kayfabe standpoint. I think it is more in the in the in the minds of fans. It is, but it's not actually. I freaking love this match. I liked it a lot. I went four and a half on this. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I was just like, I felt like this match. It stuck with me as much as anything in the tournament so far. Like, I think you know Osprey and Archer. I think that was my highest rated match. But this is like the next. One, like, I, I, I wouldn't go as high as four and a half, but when people talk about your sleeper picks and they talk about your, uh, what what are some of those terms that they always talk about? Dark, dark horse. Dark horse. Yeah, your dark yeah. horse for match of the turn. This is one of those dark horse matches where it's like, you knew it could be good because of the people involved, but you weren't like specifically anticipating it. Like Juice and Shingo have no backstory or history, but... Man, their their chemistry was off the charts, and this was a, such a good match. Yeah, I enjoyed this match also. I mean, I wasn't quite as high as four and a half. I, I went a flat four on it, but I still thought it was a great matchup. These guys you know, had a great hard-hitting match. It was a great way to open up the B block. Yeah, yeah I would have gone about four on this as well. I, I really, really liked it. But to see, to you know, even though Juice winning wasn't a shock, because so many people had booked it, it seemed like it felt like a bit of a shock, but right. it, it go. It does speak to what I said earlier when we were doing our preview. I think Juice is going to go far in this tournament because they got him placed on the final night against Mox. I think they're really going to try and like ele- heat him up. Yeah, he had a bad tournament last year, so they're going to elevate him this year, and this is the first step in that. And this was a great match. Hey, yeah. remember, Juice Robinson has a New Japan contract now. Yeah, that's true. Living in he's living in Japan, so yeah. Uh, you know, I thought uh, Shingo looked great in defeat here, and they also did a great job of showing that he can hang with heavyweights. So uh, overall, I think it accomplished all its goals. And yeah, it was Bruh, good. Shingo's playing with house money in the G one. <laughs> like after what he did in, in the um, best of Super Juniors, right? He can lose every match in the block if if he's going to give us that performance. Like he won't be hurt at all. Yeah. Uh, so any other thoughts on this matchup? I, I want to see it again. The only thing I'll say is, like, <laughs> I feel like what Rich just said about people playing with house money, there's so many guys you could literally make that statement about. Like, mm. there's so many guys that are having good tournaments. It's crazy. Yeah. So next up, we had John Moxley defeating Tai Chi at 7 minutes and 35 seconds. This man shaking his head like a fool. Not just defeating Jeremy. He fucked this man up. <laughs> This man, look, and if Tai Chi didn't jump out, uh, try to put Moxley in the jump zone to begin, 
This man, who knows how fast uh, Moxley would have got rid of this this geek, hey, hey, this loser. Yeah, Moxley, you piss me off. You never want to piss me off. Got the table out. He rock bottomed this man through a table without jumping. <laughs> All right. That's fine because we're going to talk about another match Tai Chi's involved in, which proves the point I was trying to make. From the get, so that's all. We, we had a debate, ladies and gentlemen, just so you guys know. We were in a group chat, and basically almost everyone in the group chat was saying that it was impossible that Taichi could ever beat John Moxley in this tournament. And I was like, that's what he's there to do is to beat top guys because he's a, he's a spoiler. He's an upset guy. I think you read that wrong because we were saying it would be stupid to beat him with Tai Chi. Uh, I disagree. I disagree. Well, I mean, it played out the way... I thought Moxley would definitely win. I felt like that was the favorite thing to do. But to say that it couldn't happen or that it would be stupid, I don't think that's the case. We should... I would have had to fly to New Japan and be like, Hey, are you Gato? <laughs> yes, I am. Bow! Hit him in the head with something. Dude, <laughs> it's the G1. Here's, Here, here's what the I'll G1. say. I, I'm kind of in the middle here. Because I don't think, like, it's G1. Anything could happen. Taichi is a guy they're pushing... Moxley, I could see it happening. On the other hand, with the that Moxley has and the way that he's come in and destroyed Juice, I, I personally, like, I, I think Gato made the right call here. I would have put Moxley over Tai Chi. I agree, and I think it was highly unlikely that in the first tournament match that John Moxley had in the tournament, he was going to lose. But to completely write it off like it couldn't happen or to say that it would be, like, I trust Gato's booking enough to where if Gato hypothetically beat him with Tai Chi, that it would eventually work itself out and John Moxley would still have a fantastic tournament and be better for it. Right. And here's so, what, and I'll tell this to as you long all. as you agree. And, and, agree with what? <laughs> with me. <laughs> and I'll tell this to you off air, Josh, when we're talking about this. If this matchup happened later on the tournament, I think there would have been higher chances of Tai Chi winning. I agree. Because then he could have been a spoiler to keep Mox from advancing. I but agree. But because it was Mox's first match off the block, first G1, He's coming off the hot title win. I think going with Mox was the right call. Fresh here. off the plane. Fresh off the boat. I agree. But in any case, uh, you know, moving on, I will say this. I actually really enjoyed this match a lot for what it was. It was short. Seven minutes, 35 seconds. Mox, like you said, he did pretty much dominate Taichi. And, um, you know, this was really good. I think the one thing, though, that a lot of people are wondering is we got a lot of outside brawling. We got use of a table again. And some people started wondering like started to wonder is this going to be a crutch for John Moxley in his New Japan run you know because it's the second time we've seen it right and you know so far I've, I've been liking the brawling stuff and I think it adds a different flavor to the tournament and a different style of matchup but eventually we need to see if Mox can wrestle this New Japan uh, main event house style at, at some point um, and I think Jericho did a good job of like blending into the main events in New, New Japan. That's the question about literally everyone that's pushed in New Japan. Y'all know how I felt about Jay White when, when he was entering the main event scene. It was like, well, where is it? Right. I think he's been a revelation compared to 2018, his 2019. Uh, Mox still has uh, similar questions out there about him, but I think he's he has a running start right now to answer those questions head on. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, ultimately... I, I agree with you guys in the fact that I think John Moxley was the person that needed the win more than Tai Chi, and he did it emphatically. He did it in short order, and this was enjoyable. And I, yeah, he dominated uh, Tai Chi. I also want to say I love 
the Death Rider move that he does, that elevated, the elevated dirty, deeds. dirty deeds. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. It's like dope. I hated the dirty deeds, but I love this Death Rider move. It's freaking awesome. So something's just different about John Moxley <laughs> in New Japan. Man. I just I just can't put my finger on it. It's just you know, uh, shorts. What'd you rate that one, Rich? Uh, three and three quarters. I oh. I, I was yeah, I was Ooh. too much of a coward to give it a four. Wow, man. but um, I was uh, I, I was. I enjoyed an eight-minute match about as much as I could. Gotcha. Yeah, man, I was a uh, three and a quarter on this one. I mean, I liked it, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite as high. I think I went about three and a half on this. I really enjoyed it, though. I thought it was I thought it was as good as you could expect from these two guys. And, uh, yeah, it's really, really good. Then up next, we had Toru Yano defeating Tetsuya Naito in three minutes and 50 Two seconds. Now, when somebody you- <laughs> check on the Lij fans. <laughs> they are going to jump off of a bridge. Um, I feel like we're the Lij fans, aren't we? Or no? We are normal Lij fans. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the Lij fans that lose their mind anytime Naito loses. The ones that got Naito in their um, Twitter names and dedicate their lives to him, and um, you know, show up to the uh, you know the meet and greets with gifts and. Everything else, like, yeah. At this yeah. point, it feels like, you know, last year Toriano's big wins were over Abushi and Kenny Omega. This year, he's starting off the tournament picking up a big win against Naito. Just stylistically, like, Naito just played the wrong game against Yano. That is that is that man's right. style. Came in there being tranquilo. He, tried, he started mocking Yano, mocking Yano's spots. Really, the bill just came due. You know, pulling the, trying to pull a shirt over Yano's head, messing around. Disrespected that man. <laughs> <laughs> and Yano said, disrespect will, will not, not be tolerated. tolerated. You got to respect Yano, man. I just, I didn't expect this. I don't think a lot of people did. I'm sure it busted many, many people's brackets, but... um. You know, like, it feels like Toriano at this point is elevated to this level where it's like, he's going to take mostly pinfalls, but when he wins, he's going to win big and against big names. At three minutes and 52 seconds, this was a shock. I was laughing. Squash. Hysterically. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was a squash match. Oh, my God. No, I was literally laughing hysterically because the antics the entire time between... Dude... People don't give Naito enough credit. When he does comedy, he does comedy so well. And him and Yano are just classic. And I want to say this. Give me Toriano over Orange Cassidy any day of the week. Yeah. Any day of the week. Because this is something that this guy, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's a comedy guy. But you know what? His comedy, I can watch it year round. I watch Orange Cassidy's like crap once or twice and I'm done. It's going to be out of here. Yeah, I don't want to see it again. Yeah. But yeah, Yano, he got the win. He distracted Red Shoes, pulled Naito's shirt over his head, low blow, spare, pins him. And the, and Get him out of here. The funny thing with this was Naito tried to pull a similar move and pull the shirt over uh, Yano, but it just it didn't work out for him. And um, That man doesn't train in those techniques, bro. This does feel like some of the brilliance of Gato booking. Like The fact of the matter is like the first night he likes to, you know, for each block he likes to book... Uh, Upsets. This was a huge upset. It gives Naito, who many people see as a favorite in the B block, some like he's fighting from a deficit right out the gates, mm-hmm. and uh, it's quite a shock. Yeah, definitely a big shocker. Very entertaining. Um, and like I said on Twitter, this was a funny match, but you know, not a good match as far as quality. Uh, I went one and a half on this. I went three stars on this. This was as entertaining a like sub four minute match you could get. This, there was nothing wrong with it. It was fine. At three stars. I went two and three quarters. Oh, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So up next, what what was that rating you gave on that Punjabi prison match? Negative one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only negative star. Since I've like started rating matches, that's the only one. Like, I didn't even give Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin from Stomping Grounds a negative. Wow. One day we need to have a. Uh... Like a, a watching marathon where we watch nothing but the negative star matches that oh, uh, oh my god <laughs> that Dave has rated over the years and just watch them in succession. Jesus. Uh, so next up we had Tomohiro Ishii defeating Jeff Cobb eighteen minutes and thirty five seconds. Are y'all seeing the vision yet? <laughs> Tomohiro Ishii. MVP of the tournament, Tomohiro Ishii, first place in the tournament, top of the B block. Well, he's definitely in the running to be that. Uh, well, maybe not top of the block, but definitely in the running to. Well, kayfabe he is, but definitely in the in the running to be the MVP. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people giving him a run for his money, and it's it's actually not like in years past where he's kind of running away right out the gate. Like, yeah, it, it, it's still, it's still a pack there with him. But, I agree. But man, what a, what an, this was the match of the night for me. And this is such a good match. Yeah, me too. This was a, an excellent, you know, this was, this was your, your Haas match, a hard hitting match with these two bulls just bashing into each other and trying to out muscle each other and outpower each other. It's a lot of great moves. You know, we always talk about how great Ishii sells and, Sells great and just made Cobb look like a monster at certain points in this match. But then, of course, you know, firing up, showing that fighting spirit, and uh, coming right back at him. This is only the the this was only the first step for his um, undefeated campaign in the B Block, his G One final victory, and eventual main event oh of God. the Dome, <laughs> where he unifies the uh, IWGP title to create the new. Never IWGP Championship. <laughs> Yo, before we even, like, just last night we were watching uh, G1, and I, I told Jeremy, like, we should probably cancel Rich because Ishii's picking up too many wins, and this is going to be a ridiculous episode, and it's my, my prediction is proving true. But uh, Rich had the vision. Yes. I do want to say this, though. I saw people, in my opinion, and I don't – listen, this match was great. I feel like it's one of the best matches of the tournament so far. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm disregarding the match at all. I really enjoyed it. But I feel like people have a short-term memory when it comes to the greatness of New Japan's working quality. This match was really great, really violent. I'm with you. Really, really good. But when you compare it to some other Hoss battles – even from just like let's say last year's G one Ishii and Goto, you know Ishii some- and Ibushi horse battle. <laughs> this was like to me like four and a quarter. I saw people. I gave you the same rating, Josh. I'm four and a quarter also. And part of it was because, and it's not to diminish the match. They told the story they wanted to tell. It was great, and not every match needs to be five stars. So I'm not crapping on it, but it was a little bit slow. There were times where where uh, they worked a slower pace. That was a decision they made. The ending sequence was excellent. The strikes were excellent, but it wasn't like that blow-away top-tier Hoss battle. I think this might even, because of how violent it was, still end up being like a, a strong style fight of the year candidate. Mm-hmm. But I saw people being like four and three quarters, five stars, yeah. match of the tournament, yeah, and I I'm think, not there I think on they're that. smoking rocks uh, with, with those takes. I, I Trust me, I traffic in Tomohiro Ishii. This was not Michael Elgin versus Tomohiro Ishii from the New Japan Cup 2018. This was not uh, Goto versus uh, Ishii from last year. This from, was not from, Shibata from, versus versus um, Ishii from like the last like eight years. Yeah, right. <laughs> like right. Every, every year, these guys have a blowaway match. But um, 
You know, here's the thing. We saw Ishii and Cobb at uh, the Super Show. In uh, New Orleans. In yeah. New Orleans. That match was actually a faster pace than this one. I think I only gave that one four stars based on the fact that it had less build to it. This had a better build. There, the people were more into it, and there was more riding on it with it being the importance of it being a G1 match. I still love the match. 18 minutes and 35 seconds was the match of the night. But, uh, yeah, I, I think people just maybe might have overrated it a tad bit, if that yeah, makes sense. A little bit. But, you know, once again, it's another match that kind of accomplishes goals, made Ishii look strong, also made Cobb look great. This is one of Cobb's best matches in, in New Japan. Yeah, I mean, just some of the spots they were doing and just, you know, kick, uh, Cobb kicked out at one that after that nasty lariat by Ishii. Just some of the suplexes and stuff that Cobb was doing looked great. I think we also haven't, we, we, when we did our preview, we, I think we did an okay job uh, talking about Cobb, but we didn't really emphasize the fact that of the excitement level we have, to watch this guy have nine singles matches in New Japan. We've only had a handful of singles matches, and this is the first step to that, and he did. He really delivered. Like, this was great. Yep. Yeah. So, any, anything else on that one? So, I'm here, Oishii. He's just warming up. <laughs> so, next up, the, the main event of night two, we had Hiroki Goto defeating Jay White at 21 minutes and Five seconds. I loved it. The B block stands for beat the shit out of Jay White. <laughs> he has all these ass whoopings coming from to him from all the chaos guys. Not only Hiroki Goto, uh, but Tomohiro Ishii, Toru Yano. <laughs> I hope Yano hits him in the balls and rolls him up. Oh uh, man! Well, the, the way that uh, Jay White's tournament is going, you know that that could happen. Uh, but, you know, I thought this was uh, another great matchup here. Uh, we've talked to pretty much predicted that, you know, Goto coming back and the whole story of him training with Bro. Shibata, that it would make a lot of sense for him to finally get that big win over Jay White. Bro, Goto he- was training in the dark in L.A. with Shibata standing there with a kendo stick while Robert Tepper, No Easy Way Out, was playing. There's he was, no easy way out. Exactly. He was dedicated to beating this man's ass, and that he did. Let, let's let's just talk about this right now. It's the power of friendship. We all know how strong the power of friendship is because we are all best friends, and our podcast is freaking awesome because of it. We are the Hiroki Goto of the podcasting world. What? <laughs> but Goto never wins in the end. <laughs> Fuck that mean, bro. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But obviously there there is this built-in storyline of Goto and Shibata being lifelong friends going back to their high school days. And like you said, I love that idea of it being sort of like a rocky storyline. Like he went he went to go see Apollo. He went to go get the eye of the tiger back so he could beat this man. Well, yeah, went to the LA Dojo, came back, great shape. Yeah, we uh, we might have misspoke last week. I think part of the reason why we were like, well, I don't know how good of shape he looked in it was because we were watching it live, and you know, you can't necessarily see everything as well as like that close up like camera. And I didn't go back and rewatch that match on, um, you know, on New Japan World because it was an undercard tag match. But yeah, once he came out and he took off the shirt, I was like, oh wow, this guy is in really really great yeah, shape. Man, like we knew he was in LA, we knew he was working hard, but you cannot underestimate what it was like for him. Going to his home country, possibly sleeping in his own bed, getting some local food that that you know will keep his say, body up. I literally thought you were gonna say something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah look, that that will weaken him for the G one, sir. That man is, is staying focused. I, 
I, I'm just glad that you kept it clean but, on our podcast. That's all. But all I know is Hiroki Goto. He didn't have the look of, of a man that uh, wanted to do anything but beat ass. Like right, you know, Jay White was you know powdering, pulling all the bullet bullet club shenanigans, disrespecting this man. Yes, sat uh, Gato ringside in a literal chair. I, I, I like, don't need you. Yes. I, I could beat this geek. Now here's the funny thing: the, the Jay White Goto match from earlier in the year as far as a pure in-ring product, was actually, in my opinion, probably a better match from an action standpoint. But from a story standpoint, an emotion standpoint, this was the superior story. And, man, it really delivered. I saw some people kind of down on this match, but I I really, really, really enjoyed it because Goto, at this point in time, Kayfabe is not on Jay White's level. He hasn't been able to beat him in several attempts now. And... You know, he probably, from an odds maker standpoint, shouldn't have beaten Jay White. But for the reasons that you pointed to, Jeremy, Goto seemed like the likely winner from, like, a, uh, you know, getting that, like, moral victory. And he came out here and he gave it to Jay White. Yeah, you know, definitely. You know, Jay White, at one point in the match, kind of took control and Goto was kind of fighting from underneath. But then when Goto came back, man, killing this guy, GTR, uh, he busts out the Shouten Kai. Ushigoroshis and finally finished him up with the proper GTR and got the win. And, um, you know, Jay's no, no like stranger to great closing stretches, but his closing stretches are just getting better and better by the day. And I mean, this was, dare I say, Okada esque, how good those closing sequences were with all the like reversals and everything like that. Like, there, how many times when we were watching it was like, oh, Jay got him. Oh, Jay got him. Oh, because <laughs> we've been conditioned to see Jay. Reverse everything into the Blade Run- Blade Runner. Yeah, man, I always mess that up. Into the Blade Runner, and every time he tried it, it was like Goto had scouted him, and he wasn't able to pull it off. And Goto was able to get the big win here. And man, it was such a moral victory. You know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of like a UFC fighter or a boxer that has trained for one specific opponent. Mm. He might lose to every single bo- every single other person or whatever. But he knows your style. He is. He has a picture of you on his wall when he goes to sleep. He's coming to beat you. This is Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey. Exactly. That's <laughs> just what, like, bro, we've seen what Holly Holm looked like since. She was never losing to Ronda Rousey, though. No, they literally built her and trained her to beat Ronda Rousey. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. But that this was great. I really enjoyed this night overall. And I love the fact that this is the first step in a story of Jay White facing all his former Chaos stablemates, and he's got night after night of it in the beginning of this tournament, and this was the first step in that, and he took a big loss here. And largely, a lot of the guys he's yet to face, like, this is, like, I was thinking about uh, with Jay White, and how he was kind of on the, like, I look at it like a record, his first two years on the um, uh, New Japan roster, like, last year was like the A-side, but they flipped the record uh, this year for him to wrestle all these guys now, and I think we have a more accurate representation of who he is now. Yeah. Um, I went uh, four stars. Same here. Same. Good. All right. So now we're going to move on to night three. We return to A block action. First tournament matchup was the American Psycho, Lance Archer, taking on the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale. Bruh, is the A block about to stand for Archer? <laughs> uh, I think it might be. This man, Lance Archer, 
very motivated, you know, no longer in KES. He's singles. He's coming out here. Singles. Singles, singles. yes. He had that incredible match with Will Ospreay on night one, getting the big win there. And once again here, picking up a win over Bad Luck Fale, 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Looking great. This was this match was way better than I expected it to be. I was, Any right to be. I was expecting, you know, a one-star special. These guys to be lumbering around and just sloppy and, you know. Dude, we've seen these guys wrestle. We saw them in the New Japan Cup last year, and it was not good. Yeah. But, bro, let me tell you that I loved this match. I really, really, really enjoyed this match. Um, I don't want to say it's as good, but man, it gave me like Andre Hansen vibes. It gave me Bam Bam Vader vibes. Like it gave me Hashimoto and Vader vibes. Like it gave me that classic New Japan Hoss battle strong style feel that like, you know, all this stuff with all these flying juniors is great. But like you give me two like 300 pound plus dudes like just pounding each other and then Archer busting out like. Cross bodies off the top. Yeah. Uh, walking old, the old school. Eat your heart out, Undertaker. Dude. And, and yo, Fale was like, oh, you're the new monster around here? Like, I'm going to I'm gonna work my butt off. Like, he yeah. worked hard, bro. That, that man Fale yeah. was about to do the old school. You saw that? <laughs> there was one point where I thought, what's the move that he does where he... The blackout? He, I thought he was going to do the blackout and bad luck Fale. And I was like, oh my God, someone's going to get their neck broken. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know who because it could have been either of them. Right, right? yeah. But uh, yeah, eventually, yeah, I like this match a lot. Yeah, Archer, Archer got a follow up for that choke slam. Got him up pretty high, and he then got he, him up high. Yeah, for that choke slam, and then he put the EBD claw on him and pinned him. Is this man about to get the claw over in 2019? You know what? I have had some negative opinions on the claw. Here's my thing with the claw: if he's using it as a follow up to his finish and uses it as a way to pin people, I'm here for it. If it's going to be one of these Kerry Von Eric things where he catches them and then holds <laughs> them and then like we, we then we have to get their arm raised one, two, three and, and treat it like a sleeper, I'm not with that. But I really don't – I still don't love the claw, but I'm – the way he beat like Fale here, one thing I will say is they're getting it over. And once he put that claw on and he was pinning him, I knew he wasn't going to kick out. And I was like, oh my god, he just beat Fale. Fale is a guy. Whether we like to admit it or not, as bad as he is sometimes, and some people don't like how you know his in-ring work, he rarely ever loses clean to hardly anybody. Right. I mean, and they've they dro- were putting it over on commentary yeah. before the match. Yeah, on commentary they drove with the point that he was not pinned or submitted in last year's tournament. He got disqualified like six times, and that's why he had a three-six record. Um, but he wasn't pinned or submitted. So this is a big deal for Archer to come out here and beat Fale second match in but, the tournament. But even when other people beat him. And, I, you know, this isn't a hard, fast rule, but when many of the guys beat him, someone from Bullet Club will interfere, and there will be shenanigans, and maybe the good guy ends up with the chair and hits him, or something like that. Some, or a schoolboy roll-up or something. Something happens. This was not that. This was Archer saying, hold this claw, take this nap, one, two, three, I beat you fair and square. That almost hardly ever happens unless your name is Tanahashi or Okada. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and I, I thought this was a good way to uh, open up the match. We had a que- uh, open up the show. We had a question from Reddit user that was five stars. He says, I thought that Archer and Fale had a pretty good match. Out of the matches so far, does Josh still think it was the worst matchup? You know what? What if it was? Like, what if that's how good this tournament was and it's the worst matchup? 
Because I I know that you guys aren't maybe as high. I was like three and a half on this, and if I'm not going to be a coward, coward, I could have even gone maybe a quarter higher, but I'm probably three and a half on this. I'm a flat three. I gave it a gentleman's three. But, I, I but it, it was it. a well-earned three. Yeah, because, it was because, well- because at first I was like, oh, Lord, they about to do a bunch of bullshit. And then what happened was that they would outperform the bullshit. Right. And it, and it just kind of leveled off there. What, but What did you give Fale and Evil? Two and a half. Oh. You didn't watch it? <laughs> okay, see, because I would have given that three. That's where, like, just to kind of give give you, like, a barometer. And this, gotcha. this was way better than that. But I, I think Archer is a guy that feels probably like he has so much to prove because when will he ever get another opportunity like this? He's further along in his career, and he has a chance to be his own unique kind of thing in New Japan because, right. like, yes, there are foreign wrestlers there, but right? But there's no foreign giant that's, like, athletic, athletic and yeah. has a great power move set. And it's like... They've had them in the past, but, like... Well, I mean, bad luck, Fale, but they've had other guys in the past, you know. But you're right. Like, Archer's like a new breed of giant in New Japan. And, like, it's been great. Um, you know, I've got thoughts about this trajectory with Archer. I think I'm going to save it till we close up our review of the G1. Um, but, you know, at this point, Toriano and, like, tai- Taichi has, like, they have the potential to be the worst match of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, these guys have set a high bar. As of right now, I have Yano and Naito as my worst worst match of the tournament, and not me. Right now, easily without question, Evil and Fale is the worst match of the tournament for me, and it wasn't even really that bad. Yeah, I mean, it was not good, but it was whatever. <laughs> um, but I love this match. I just want everyone to know that this match is awesome. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it, this it, match. It is worth a watch. It's ten minutes. Ten minutes, yeah. So the next up, we had the aerial assassin Will Ospreay defeating Cold Skull Sonata, seventeen minutes and ten seconds. Before we talk about the actual match, we have to mourn the loss. We have to mourn the loss of Will Ospreay's elevated theme song. Yeah, so we noticed that what uh, during the actual during the opening night they didn't play his music, right? Right. Yeah, because well, we, we were there live and we heard elevated, and right. then Rich put in the messenger group. What happened to Osprey's music? They you know they dubbed it. I'm like, what are you talking about? We 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 heard elevated, and there's been some screwy stuff with the New Japan music rights. Right. So we we just, had the whole thing with Phantasmo earlier during in the year, and, and Jericho, a, a, a Jericho, yeah. So this situation might be a little bit different because the label doesn't want to cooperate in those situations. The other ones, I took it for New Japan being cheap and just not wanting to pay for it. Well, this one looks different. I didn't take it as New Japan being cheap. I just thought it, there was incompetency. Not to say I'm like the music buff here. I don't know how all that stuff works, but I just thought someone didn't file a paper or some crap like that. Yeah, it seems like it was like somebody, you know, miscommunication or, you know, like, you know, Tiger Tori was supposed to, you know. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the fax machine or something. <laughs> yeah. like. They didn't get approval from the IWGP committee. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember, like, the... I think it was like last summer I started noticing that I liked that theme music a lot. And it would be like when you hear that it's like it's time. Like it's time to get ready because it's time to rise. Yeah, it's time to rise the fuck up. Because because Osprey's coming to, you know, do him. And it's unfortunate. Um, but it's not the end of the world. Wrestlers change, you know, themes all the time. Like we eventually got to, got used to Tanahashi's new music and Will Ospreay's 
young enough in his career where maybe he gets another song that defines him. His, right. his first music from New Japan was actually Fire. Uh, I don't know if they're going to use that again. They might, but, you know, I bet you they could easily get someone to develop new music for him. And with the kind of push that they've been giving him and the kind of trajectory that he's on and all that, and I'm sure that they're going to have something good, you know, going forward. Maybe there's somebody here at this table who could produce a new track for Mr. Osprey. Just, just tweet it to him and be like, hey, Will, if you want to go another direction, here you go. I don't think he wants one of my acoustic guitar covers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so but I'll, I'll try for the show. I don't know. I'll try, I guess. Uh, but uh, let's get into this match here. I freaking loved this match. This was. It's funny. When I was watching this match, I was like, this is Rich Ladder's pro wrestling right here. Oh, it was so High good. flying, great counters, innovative maneuvers. I was four and a half on this bad boy. When Will Osbury flipped. Out of the paradise lock, I was like, "Yes!" Like, <laughs> like this dude is a fucking hot dog and a half, and I love it. No, no, no! You, you're misreading that. He didn't no sell the paradise lock. He didn't lock it up completely right. He didn't have the arm in the right oh, position. Oh, oh, okay. So that's why Will was able to capitalize on that moment. Rocky yeah. talked about this on. Were you not? Listen, were you listening to Japanese commentary? Yeah, I was listening to Japanese. Okay, commentary. yeah. So Rocky talked very extensively about this. That's why you, you probably just misread it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it, everything just, this is like a continuation of Sonata's like, all right, I fought one British dude that has a whole different style. I'm going to fight the other one now, and I'm going to be able to match him for and be there for whatever he does. This was like a junior Osprey Okada almost. Like, you know, the super size would be the Osprey Okada, and then just below that, like the large combo would be Osprey Sonata, I feel like. Yeah. This was more high-flying than Osprey Okada, I'll say that. <laughs> But I really, really enjoyed this match. And I'll even go as far to say this was my match of the night. Um, I really enjoyed it. I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. You know, there are times where on this podcast we've been slightly down on Sonata. Not to, we've been maybe at times too critical, it might be. But Sonata's really, ever since that the, the title run like or the title push and the challenge they gave him this past year... He, and the new look and everything. He's really he's been on coming into the his run own. to the New Japan final Cup final yeah. that uh, I predicted. He's, he's been proving to be one of the most versatile wrestlers this year. You want me to wrestle New Japan main event style for Okada? I'll do it. I'll do it twice. You want me to wrestle a technical, um, you know, grapple match with Saber? I'll do it. You want me to wrestle a high speed, high fly match with Osprey? I'll do it. This guy is. He has got to wrestle Fale next. Yeah. You know? I, <laughs> well, I think I think the thing is we've always known he's had all the tools, and our question has been why is he so stoic? Why isn't he delivering at the level we know he's capable of? And now he's that intangible thing that we've always been like, what's he missing? It's like. Suddenly, it didn't happen all at once. It just kind of has organically been developing, and now he seems like he has it. Bro. Question to Rich. Yeah. Did you like the way he came out looking like a Colombian drug lord at the freaking uh, G1 presser? I loved it. Um, <laughs> Sonata is always sure and tie fly, no matter what. One of my favorite suits that I've ever seen him in was actually the new beginning of 2018. Where the press conference? The press conference. I believe it was like a 
blue uh, suit with maybe white pinstripes. Yeah, I'm not he wore that in the uh, like I don't know what they call, it, but like the build-up show as well. And he, that... he's progressively gotten more outlandish. Yeah, but I, I like this toned down stuff a little bit, but I can I can kick it with this because obviously you can see what he's wearing in the ring too. That's that's changed as well. So the out of the uh, ring gear has worked for me as well. And this was a life and death battle. These guys both at so many times seemed like they were capable of winning it. Sonata kept reversing. So much into the skull end. And also, the skull end, I feel like it's been a long time since I saw a bad skull end. What about you guys? Yeah, he's been locking it in pretty tight the last few matches that he's been using it. But like you mentioned, man, yeah, there were so many great counters, especially um, the, the TKO spots. Sonata was trying oh, yeah. so hard to finally hit that TKO. And Osprey kept reversing it until finally, I think after like three or four tries, uh, Sonata was finally able to hit that TKO. And just, they were so smooth, so fast. The closing stretch was awesome. Um, you know, Osprey hitting that Spanish fly and getting into the, the Robinson special, um, countering the Oscar into the skull end, but then Osprey rolling out, hitting the bus cop, the bus off kick, and then the Oscar and the Stormbreaker, and just boom. Here's the funny thing about Osprey: so many people have him booked highly in this tournament. Even some people have him booked to go all the way. You know what I mean? So, with that being the case, though. He's still the junior going up against this established, successful heavyweight. There were so many times in this match where I was seeing Osprey as an underdog. You sh- I don't think I should see him as an underdog because of the way that the trajectory of the of the product is. It seems like he's going to do well, but man, it was an uphill battle for him to overcome Sonata, and it was like one, two, three kid fighting like. Like someone who was above him, and he literally like had, Razor Ramon. Like Razor Ramon, <laughs> he had to gut it gutted out. And then by the end of it, it was like not him as an underdog, but he slowly surpassed Sonata and bested him. And I was like, "This is how you build, guys. Like this is how you build credibility." And, and this and is how someone stars. goes from one level to another. Yes, and, and it's not just like, "Hey." Uh, we're going to book you above your means. It's like, no, nah, I'm going to perform above my means. Right. So um, I, I went four and a quarter on this. And I went four and a quarter on it as well. I was, I was four and a half. I love this. Uh, I loved it too, but I was four and a quarter. I really liked it, though, and I enjoyed it so much. And, uh, one thing we'll talk, talk about before we move on, Will Ospreay, he's injured. So the news came out pretty much you know, after this match that – uh, he was suffering from neck injury. He missed the multi-man match on night four. He's going to be evaluated to see if he can have his match with Ibushi on Thursday. Um, what we're hearing it was it's a stinger. So and it's one of those things where he might feel great tomorrow or he might be out the rest of the tournament. Well, it's a good thing Triple H wasn't in this company because he would have stopped the match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stop this man's push. Cool right. his jets. Right. Um, I think you're, they're going to have to cut Will Ospreay's legs off to keep him from wrestling. Yeah, I actually watched this match after the fact once I knew he was already he suffered the injury, so I was on the lookout for it. There is a moment where he takes a bump. I don't remember specifically, but after he takes this bump, he gets up and they they're supposed to be doing the classic, you know, strong style elbow exchanges, and he's throwing them very weakly. And he's grabbing his neck really hard. And every time he takes one, he's like falling to the ground. Now, you could watch that and be like, that's what they always do, you know? <laughs> he just is really good at selling. and um, Which is also a funny statement because a couple years ago he wouldn't have said that. But now he really is. <laughs> People got to walk all that stuff back. But um, watching it, because I've watched Osprey for so many years now, I kind of know what his movements are like. And I was like, you know what? Now that I know that he was injured, I bet that's when it happened. 
because for the rest of the match, he does move not quite the way he normally would. But he's such a professional. Watching it live, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah, I thought he was just selling. Yeah, and I mean, I would have thought the same thing too. But if I were to pinpoint one moment when maybe it happened, he takes this bump, he gets up, and he looks a little awkward. And I was like, I bet that's when it happened. Yeah, so great, great matchup. It was a great match. Match match of the night. You know, a lot of people don't think it was, but to me it was. But uh, moving on, next we have the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, defeating Zack Sabre Jr. 12 minutes and 5 seconds. This Get this geek out of here. <laughs> I want to see him cry and up down the aisle like Bob Backlund. <laughs> what geek? Who's the geek here? The loser. <laughs> as, as Granny Alvarez would say, that skinny wimp, that skinny geek. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't come around on Zack Sabre yet. Yeah, man. Um, and this was such a good Zack Sabre match. Like, this was so devoid of the things that you don't like in Zack Sabre. I thought this was like a trimmed down lesser version of their title match from... Sakura Genesis? Yeah, I believe last year. I liked this better than that match. I might not have liked it quite as much as their uh, Strong Style Evolved UK match last year. I think that that might have been the superior match, but overall... At 12 minutes, this was as good as you could ask for from these two guys, and it was really, really good. Yeah, I think the surprising thing for me was just how short it was. You got Okada in there and Saber, and I, th- I think it was just one of those things like Okada was just a little bit faster than Saber in this match. You know game. why? Shorts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Okada was kind of able to kind of keep up with Saber, and it, it seems like you know Saber's starting to get out wrestled a little bit here in this tournament. He has been- people have seen his movies. Yeah. He hasn't been grounding guys enough. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. He's um he's getting like you know baited into having these striking exchanges and that's the problem. Also, you realize he ain't got no chest. <laughs> he he don't have a chest. The other thing too is Zach, he's got to work on his ring awareness cuz he keeps locking guys up in these crazy holds, but they're so close to the ropes. I don't know why he doesn't drag them to the middle of the ring and tap them out. I just wish that they would hire me to train Zach because I would I would lead him to success. Well, you know, Zach doesn't have Taka with him. He doesn't have Taka. That's why he's losing. Yeah. yeah. And, no. Um, I think with uh, this blew everyone's thinking that he was going to get that title shot. Right. A lot, Ooh, a, lot, out of the water. a lot of people, including myself, picked Sabre to win this match because Royal Quest is coming up. They're probably going to do a British guy versus Okada in the main event for the title. At the press conference, he mentioned that over and over again, his only goal was not even to win the tournament, but to beat Okada, so he would have the claim to walk into Zach's quest and uh, made about the cover box. I think they've got time, if they still want to go that way, which they might not, but if they want to, they could still do it. But Jeremy, what did I say when we were in Dallas? That uh, Okada's not going to lose. I flipped. On the air, I said Okada was going to lose, but then... I hadn't taken into account that it was the third night of the G1. Once I realized it was the third night of the G1, I was like, there's only two ways this can go. Either he's losing to Tanahashi, and then he's also losing to Zack. But I was like, but if he beats Tanahashi, there's no way in the second night of the tournament he's losing to Zack Sabre Jr. to set up a future title shot. That's too soon. That's just not the kind of booking that Gato normally does. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, Zach's probably not going to win here. Also, I forgot about the other British guy in the block, Will Ospreay. Like, <laughs> like why wouldn't you do Okada versus Ospreay in England? Yeah, that's a, another possibility as that well. That is probably... I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's the bigger match in England, but it 
could very well be. I wouldn't say by much, but I mean, Zach has one of the fastest sellouts in RevPro history, and I mean, he's a worldwide superstar. That might actually be the bigger match. Plus, they've had so many fantastic matches. So you're right, uh, Rich, especially since what that's going to be are Okada and Zach the final night of A Block? What do you mean, Okada and Zach just wrestled? I'm sorry, Okada, Okada and Will. I okay, think that, I'm sorry, night. Okada and Osprey. You know I do that all the time. Between I always mix up <laughs> Zach and Osprey. Is that the final night of A Block? I think it is. Right? I think it is. So, or no, it's a bougie. Uh, I oh I. I keep thinking they're the final night. Okay. But, yeah, I think you're right, Rich. There's a good possibility. Now, here's where the, where it gets interesting. What if Okada beats both of those guys? Then what do you do? Uh, I, th- I think Ricky would say, call in Joe Coffee. Yeah, call in <laughs> Joe Coffee. I'm sure he can make the shrimp. Right. I, 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 know. Think, I think some people were hoping that Sonata would get, like, a British title shot based off the fact that he beat Zack. So maybe you do a double feature like Sonata and Zack, and then you do Osprey and Okada. That's a possibility. Yeah. But I want to say here, I thought this match was great. I thought Zach had super incredible, interesting um, submission holds. I mean, he was just tying Okada up, and he wasn't doing a lot of that. That thing that I don't like that Zach does is where he puts one submission on and then gives it up and takes another one. I prefer when he has a submission, transitions into a worse submission, then grabs a third limb, and then just like screws the guy up. That's what I like that he does, and he's doing more of that versus the... I'm going to go to an arm bar. Now I'm going to go to a leg bar. Like, why are you doing that? Right, yeah. And Okada, like, was fighting for his life. He couldn't get out of those moves. He had to get to the ropes each time. And Okada was able to weather that storm, pound him out, drop those tombstones on him, Rainmaker this man, one, two, three, get him out of there. And oh, I, yeah. And I thought that this match, in my opinion, I didn't like it as much as Osprey and Sonata, but I went four and a quarter on it. I went a flat four. I went 3.75. <laughs> This man hates Will. He he hates Zack Saber Jr. so much. Uh, but yeah, thought it was a great match. So next up, we have the King of Darkness, Evil, taking on the Golden Star Kota Ibushi. Evil defeating Ibushi at 19 minutes and 10 seconds. I'm really enjoying this uh, new wrestling style that Kota Ibushi has, where he doesn't use one leg. Right. Um, the, the, the one-legged style. The, the one-legged man in the G1 contest. This is the one like a man that JR always be yes. talking about. Yes. I thought this was good. Um I didn't I don't think I loved it quite as much as you, Jeremy. Um where were you on this, Rich? I gave this one four. Yeah, See, I, I went four also. I wasn't quite four. I might have been like three and three quarters. I thought that the striking was really, really violent, and I liked that evil targeted the injured ankle of Kodobushi, which we haven't even talked about that. We I guess we should address that. Right. So though it came out. Um, after the first night of the G1 that Okada, or excuse me, that Ibushi suffered the ankle injury, or there was that spot in the match where he landed awkwardly in the Kenta match, um, so suffering that ankle injury. We see, yeah, we didn't see that because of where we were sitting it was hard to see, but you know, in the group thread, James had mentioned how bad that looked and things of that nature, and it, you know, he, I guess he he did in those uh, pictures he tweeted out of his ankle looked horrific. Yeah, it looked gnarly. I don't oh, even man. know how. How do we know? How do we know if it's real? Yes. That man put makeup on his foot. How do we know that that's even Koto Bushi's foot? Well, he could have downloaded that, saved that picture, and made us think that he's injured and being, uh, you know, you know, this guy's a worker. Let me ask you something. Would Jim Cornette praise him for the fact that he's working a perceived injury 
Or would he crap on him because, because he's he, Kota Ibushi? Because he's Kota Ibushi and he stole that move from his ex-golden lover, Kenny Omega. Because oh we all know God. about the Kenny Omega-Jim Cornette ankle story. Yeah. Oh. Um, I think Cornette would still fry him because of the, uh, yeah, the DDT the, stuff. Right, yeah. <laughs> Everything like that. He, he yeah. Um, <laughs> but Ibushi, this guy's a cyborg. He's not normal. He used to literally take bumps in the street. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not worried about this guy. If he's hampered at all, what? So he falls from like the most talented guy we've ever seen to among like how how many best we've ever seen. He'll be fine. He'll come up with a new style. He'll he'll recover during the off days. Get treatment. But yeah, but the whole injured angle thing has been adding a lot of drama his matches and especially here in this match he's limping while he's running a one-legged moonsault um you know like he mentioned on twitter he's, he's trying to wrestle this new style he's having to <laughs> this guy's a worker bro i'm telling you <laughs> i literally you know what when you when i was watching the match i thought what if this is not real <laughs> <laughs> this man yeah, let's talk about. Uh, Look, my, my. Has anybody has anybody done the catfish? Remember in in the show Catfish, where they would drop the picture into the Google search. Has anyone done that with Kota Ibushi's, um, you know, picture of his feet? Oh my Bro, God. you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose us listeners. There's gonna be people who are literally like at their hearts offended that you're even insinuating that this man would lie to them. Hey, this whole business is a lie. <laughs> But yeah, Evil looked great here. Uh, we, you know, we normally don't see Evil looked good here. We don't see normally see Evil having <laughs> having a uh, body part match, but targeting the ankle. I thought Evil's strikes looked great. That's true. He uh, did do a lot of like new kind of things, and you know, normally, you know, I think he's the other guy when it comes to Evil and Sonata, and uh, you know, I think I think Evil's the other guy. But here's the thing: I don't think he's so much the other guy to where it's like. One guy's going to be a star, and then once the other guy goes off, he's going to be a jobber. He's going to probably have a, a job for life here, and he's got a gimmick that's over enough to where he's going to have work forever. Yeah. Here's one thing I noticed. They didn't go to the outside. You didn't see any golden st- uh, star triangles. You didn't see Evil try to you know use the chair and hit it like a bat. The baseball bat spot. Yeah, which I guess that probably plays into probably because it didn't pay off so well for him in the first round of the, right. of, of the tournament. But they didn't do any outside brawling, which I enjoyed. I was glad that they kept it on the ring. This was almost like a pure... This is a better pure wrestling match than Jonathan Gresham and uh, whatever that guy... What's his name? The, the last uh, Silas Young. Silas Young. Yeah. yeah, this was a good pure wrestling match. Um, I thought at times it was a bit slow. That was my only real issue with it. And that's why I went a little bit lower on it. But overall... One of the better evil matches that I've seen in quite a while. And I thought Abushi and Evil really delivered here. And I was surprised to see that Evil picked up the win. Yeah, that was uh, surprising. But uh, I went four stars on this. Yeah, I went four stars too. And um, I think he did a good job protecting Abushi while still making it look like he was on his ass. The, the only funny, and you're right, the only funny thing was there were so many times where he'd put the ankle lock on, but he wouldn't turn it. At all, <laughs> so I'm like, <sighs> maybe put him put him in a heel hook at least, because then at least we can like kind of believe like if you have him in a in an ankle lock, like turn it a bit. But he didn't, which I get why. But yeah. yeah, but no, this match was really good. 19 minutes and 10 seconds. 
I know it was the semi-main event. I thought it was a little bit... I think they could have trimmed a couple minutes yeah, off. Yeah, I thought it could have been a little bit shorter. But overall, the closing sequence... And I think I say this in almost every New Japan match because they just have the best closing sequences. The closing sequence was awesome. Yeah. Great match. So now we move on to the main event of night three. Kenta defeats the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 18 minutes and 35 seconds. Are we going to have to stop calling him that soon? Ace forever, man. <laughs> Fuck you mean? What kind of question is that, John? Are we going to have to play the rant? I listened to it today, actually. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, you know, last year and, and the ace, and, you know, I knew the ace was going to ride, and I was happy when the ace rolled on him and everything like that, and... You know, as far as this match goes, I thought of it as like two guys that live in a city, right? That live in opposite neighborhoods for years, and all they've heard about is how bad the other one was. And one day, they were finally going to meet each other, and today was that day. I'm glad Kenta just didn't kick him the whole time, right? (laughs) Because I would have just been like, this is boring. But this turned into an Excellent match. Absolutely excellent. Tanahashi, bro, right out of of the gate with four and a half star matches back to back. At this table, people were worried about the ace and said he was broken down. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, how about it now? (laughs) So, I, I, again, wasn't quite as high. I think I went four and a quarter on this, but this was a dream match, something that I've been wanting to see. I mean, this was one of those fire pro matches, you know? Right, you know, what what, what if, if, uh, you know, let's take uh, Kenta from Noah and put him against Tanahashi from New Japan. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I was really, I think when we previewed the G1, people were like, what's one of the most anticipated matches of the tournament? And I said, I really want to see Kenta and Tanahashi. And I thought this match did deliver. I will say this. I'm glad Kenta didn't kick him the entire time. I wish Kenta would have kicked him more. Mm-hmm. Not that he, that's all he did, but I do think that he wrestled more of a Tanahashi-style-paced match mm-hmm. and didn't do quite enough of what he does. And it's like, I think there should be balance there. Like, the first match, all he did was just bludgeon Kotobushi. Second match... I don't think he bludgeoned Tanahashi quite enough if that I'm makes you, sense. I'm telling you, bro, Ace was not about to let that man no, sit there and kick right. him like no. that. Like, bro, like, you might fuck around and hit my arm. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when we watched Kenta on the first night of the G1, we noticed that, like, yeah, prior to that, we hadn't seen him with his shirt off. And we were like, he looks big. He looks strong. He looks really in good shape. Then he took his shirt off, and I was like, man, he, he's got a little bit of a, like, overhang, a little bit of a pudge. But, like, that's gone. Like, that was just a, a week ago, and this guy is trimmed down. I know that they burn a lot of calories when they're wrestling these long singles matches night after night. But, like, <clears throat> dude, he's looking in, like, the best condition I've seen Kenta. Man, got to go years. home. Yeah. He yeah. got to go home, bro. You cannot underestimate, especially for athletes, sleeping in your own bed. <laughs> Training in your own facilities. Or, sleeping in your own bed. <laughs> bro, you cannot, like, bro. Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why role players, like, they, they play better at home. You know, that's the old edge in, you know, sports. But, yeah, man, this was, uh, I like I like this match. I wasn't as high on it as I've, I've seen some other people rate it, but I still thought it was a great matchup here. Um, you got Kenta coming off to a hot start here. 
beating Ibushi, beating Tanahashi, who was last year's tournament winner. Uh, Kenta is going 2-0. Once again, proving Hideo Watami is dead. Uh, you know, long live Kenta. You know, he's not quite to the, the Noah level Kenta, but it's hell of a lot better than uh, Hideo Watami. Let's be clear here. We can't understate how important these two victories are back-to-back. This man just beat the two finalists of the G1 last year back-to-back. Kotobushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Those were the guys that were in the A and B block finals, and he beat them both clean. Mm-hmm. Um, there is definitely a story of respect, whether or not Hiroshi Tanahashi is going to respect Kenta, and whether he's going to shake his hand. This does play into an older storyline that is branched off of the fact that Kenta is tied to Katsuria, Katsuria, Katsuyori Shibata and uh, his association with him. Obviously, Kenta is an outsider. Um, I don't know if, you know, back when Shibata had first returned, there was a really, really heated rivalry between Tanahashi and Shibata that had match of the year you know, there's several match of the year contenders between them that year when they wrestled one another. It was because Tanahashi was not going to welcome him back in because he abandoned them during their most trying period. And then eventually... You can hear it in a crowd, too. Eventually, Shibata earned his respect, and he ended up shaking his hand after a series of matches. Now Kenta comes in, an outsider, tied to the Shibata, who also has history with Tanahashi. And at the end of this match... When he went to go shake Tanahashi's hand, Tanahashi gave him the, uh, not going to shake <laughs> like, your hand. Nah, bro, like, you got me. <laughs> I think that this match is really good, but I think you made a great point, Jeremy, when you said they have a better match in them. Yeah, yeah so I see you off air. I, I definitely feel like there's going to be a better match. Now, this whole story they're building with the whole respect thing, you know, they teamed up on the undercard on night four. Um, and, you know, uh, and there's Saber, still tension. There was tension. Uh, Saber was working over Tanahashi. And, you know, at the end of the match, Kento was trying to help Tanahashi up. And Tanahashi was kind of like moving away from him. Didn't want Kento to help him up. So there's still that whole story they're telling there. I think we got a better, bigger match coming down the line. And, like you mentioned, all Shibata stuff, you know, on Kento's nameplate, the translation above it says uh, Shibata's soulmate. Um, at the end here, he used the sleeper and the PK, Shibata's yep. two moves to set up his go-to-sleep. Uh, so definitely we're seeing the Shibata influence. You know what it feels like? Like, Tanahashi's like, hey, Shibata, that's your homeboy. That's that's, that's not, like, right. that's not mine. Like, you get a plate, but your homeboy does. Right. right. <laughs> like, why did you bring him with you? Right. Like, we, hey. we invited you to the barbecue. <laughs> nah. Who's that guy? <laughs> exactly. That, that's, that's all the energy the Aces is giving me. And you can leave and go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, got two questions here. First, from Reddit user that was five stars. He said, "Could Kenta make it to the finals for his block after beating two of the biggest names in the company?" I'm getting ZSJ New, J- New Japan Cup vibes. I'm getting those vibes from Archer. <laughs> Look, sure. Like we, yeah, we talked could. about this off air the other day, Josh. Like it ain't nothing for somebody to win a block and then lose the G1 final, right? The question is, do you, the G1 final has been like such a, and we'll get to it in my pick of the week that uh, I will be giving Ooh, you guys mm. um, later. The G1 final is such a like hallowed match, uh, especially the last like, you know, just as long as I've been watching New Japan since 2015. Like you had uh, Tanahashi and Nakamura, you had Omega and Goto, you had um, Naito and Omega, you had uh, last year. Uh, Ibushi and Tanahashi. and Tanahashi, and it's like 
does Kenta have that in him? You know, a um, couple things. So I didn't. I know last week I told everybody I was going to finalize my uh, bracket and then follow that for the rest of the tournament. Well, it, I, I didn't do that. It, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I lied. You know, <laughs> I worked it. Yeah, but here, man, it, it's hard to make a bracket and stick with it. Because you see the what you see what happens, and then it changed the way the whole thing's gonna be. It changed, yeah. Once I saw the first night, it changed things. Then I started to work on it, and then I got spoiled on a couple matches in B Block, and I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So then, so from here on out, I'm just gonna have to like go with my gut night after night. But here's the thing, A Block, I've I'm firmly in the camp that I think Naito's winning the A Block, and I think, or I'm sorry, the B Block, and I think he's going to the finals, or you know, to to Wrestle Kingdom. The A block to me is so much up in the air. I could see so many guys winning it. Kenta is starting to look to me like the likely person who might win this block with the kind of push they're giving him. Although, there's a huge case to be made where I think he might be that guy that beats Okada and loses the block. Right. I could really see him the, in that role. It can go two ways. It can go the El Fantasmo route where he comes in and wins his first six matches but then loses the last three matches, and eventually those that last loss knocks him out from getting to the A block final. Or they can go the kind of saber route, like uh, that what Five Star was mentioning, where he's beating all these aces. So he's he beats Ibushi, he beats Tanahashi, he beats Okada, and, and someone else like picks him off. But no, he, he goes to the he goes to the block finals, and then you have Naito, the last ace mm. that he has to beat. But then Naito ends up beating him. Yeah, Jeremy was pointing out that he's beating a lot of aces, and he. Th- it's funny this guy mentioned Zach because Zach beat so many aces in his New Japan Cup run, and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's an interesting story. But what if he can't beat the dark ace, which is Naito? And that's a great storyline. I can see it going either way. The interesting thing is that on his final night, he's going up against Zach Saber. Zach Saber is the perfect guy to beat him. Zack Sabre was the guy who beat Naito last year to knock him out of the yeah. block standings. And you see the, the start that Zach has gotten off to. Some of those points might be ready to even out by the time you know things, uh, you know, go forward. Yeah. Now, um, I actually don't have anything else to say, so we can move on to the next. Question. <laughs> we can move on to the next question. All right. Next question comes from our buddy Howard Schilling. He says, "When do you think Tanahashi shakes Kenta's hand, or will he ever?" Uh, I think that we already touched on this when we said that they have already laid the groundwork. For a feud between these guys, which tells me that they've got long-term plans for Kenta in New Japan. Whether he sticks around or not remains to be seen, but they're pushing him hard like he's going to be. And they're laying the groundwork for long-term storytelling between him and Tanahashi. When that will be, I don't know, but what if we get Tanahashi and Kenta at Wrestle Kingdom? That seems like a likelihood to me. Yeah, Because if Tanahashi's not wrestling for the belt, remember they set up something with Chris Jericho, that's still... That's on the there. table. That's out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Like I think uh, Tanahashi is going to have like some type of outsider match. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I still look at Kenna as an outsider here. But yeah, he, he kind of is. Yeah. I think with things between AEW and New Japan becoming more precarious by the day, and like each report we're getting is like the relationship Worse. is non-existent. <laughs> Who knows if we see Jericho ever again? You know, he definitely like. You know, laid the groundwork for there to be something in the future, but he did that in the past with him and Naito with no guarantee he was coming back, just so there could be some seeds planted. 
Right. We, we might not ever see him come back. I, th- I think the one thing that's kind of on Jericho's side is just how much the U.S. Uh, New Japan World subscriptions bump up every time he shows up. Yeah. It's like what Kenny, like Kenny was there all the time. Like, we love Kenny, but there was no like huge U.S. bump the way Jericho comes in. So that's why maybe Gale's like, I can wait for the Kenny to come back. But I want Jericho to come back and bump up these New Japan. And here's the other thing to think about. That con money is great, but that my money is great, too. <laughs> the uh, yen. That, that yen. That, 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 yeah. that May money. That May yen. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, who knows? Well, maybe eventually they have the rematch, and however that ends, after the rematch, Tanahashi finally accepts Kenta and shakes his hand. Possibly, yeah. yeah. After he beats him. Yeah. That's when he's going to shake his hand. He's, he's going to shake Kenta's hand after he beats Kenta. Right. <laughs> I, I, I beat you. Good, good, good job. <laughs> good match, pal. <laughs> he's going to shake his hand like he's uh, who did, uh, Cedric Alexander after he unmasks. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, next question from Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig. He says, is it possible that the injuries to Osprey and Ibushi will affect the outcome of the tournament? Or are they just kayfabe? It's possible. Um, you know, they've had to call audibles in the past with these tournaments. We've seen guys get injured. We've seen guys get sidelined <laughs> from the tournament before. So it's definitely possible. Is it kayfabe? That's also possible, too. Yeah. Um, it could all be a work. <laughs> but- it is professional wrestling, after all. Right. We, we reserved the right, and I'm sure Ricky would agree. Yes. But- this will work, right? <laughs> but if... if- if, they, if this if these injuries are legitimate, and let's say Abushi is booked to win the block, win the whole tournament, and let's say the angle gets worse, Gato is going to have to rebook the whole tournament on the fly. Remember that year though. Uh, there's been many years, but remember that year where uh, Nakamura. Nakamura got injured and had to miss several matches and forfeit, and he still ended up in the finals. So I mean, Gato's not. Yeah, I think Gato, like Gato probably Gato already that, has an alternate booking sheet already. Yeah. That man, he, he knows how Ibushi and Osprey get down. He already had like three three drafts. Yeah, like these two men get injured. <laughs> he's like an insurance company. He's got like you know provisions like put aside. You know he's ready. Yeah, he knows that they're like high risk clients. Uh, next question from Sir Sam from LOP. Did, did Sir Sam win his uh, tournament uh, quiz on Ricky and Clive? I think he did. I'm coming for you, Sir Sam. <laughs> If not, I'm coming for Imp. I don't know which one it was. I'm coming for one of you. I think Sir Sam won. I can't remember. Uh, But he says, how normal slash abnormal is this sort of injury toll for the G1? Because I remember Omega was working injured last year, but can't remember anyone else. Also, if Will Ospreay's neck is really hurting him, then is his match with Ibushi the best option? I don't think it's abnormal. I mean, we literally saw, like, Takayama have a stroke during the G1 before. We've seen so... Like, think about the type of physicality that these guys are going through you know generally speaking in a new japan cycle these guys have matches like this once a month this is the one time of year where they do it nine times in the matter of a month and a half so i've also heard stories that like their body like kind of peaks athletically and they're kind of like it's almost like uh you guys played uh like nba street before yeah it's yeah. like their body's in game breaker mode for this month like where nothing affects them i've I heard play, stuff like that i too. played yeah. nba jam you mean he's on fire, he's on fire. <laughs> same, same concept like you lose nothing or whatever like i've heard stories about that as well so i'm I don't sure know. That, i'm depends. sure that's true 
Um, you know, lots of guys get injured in the tournament. I'm sure every year there are guys injured in the tournament that they're concealing some of those injuries. We don't even know about them. We only hear about the ones that are so serious that it sidelines them for a period of time. Right. So, or yeah. like last year, like as he mentioned, like I think we found out like a month later, yeah, this man Kenny he wrestled that um block on a broken fucking heel like yeah. like a psychopath. Like <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so is Osprey versus Bushi the best option? I believe that's on Thursday. Well, they could go out there and kill themselves, or they're good enough wrestlers where they could do anything that they want to do, and the match will be unbelievable. If Osprey and Will went out there, um, yeah, if I, I'm sorry, Will and um, Abushi went out there and decided to have a Matt Classic, I bet you'd be over four stars. Yeah, they could come out there and do uh, grapple fuck. Yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. They could do whatever they want to do. Now it remains to be seen. We we have to see what the doctors say. There's a chance we might not get that match. Will might be sidelined and or Bushi. You know, the, the ankle could flare up and so. Yeah, I mean, um, my real concern is what if they, what if what if like Will can't compete for the rest of the tournament, which would be a shame. Obviously, we we want to put his health first and foremost. And so I'm wondering, there have been times in tournament history, it's not unprecedented, where someone else steps in for that individual. I think Minoru Suzuki is rearing to go. You know, Daniel Bryan has an announcement tonight. Oh, yeah, my God. Maybe he, uh, yeah. I'm talking about, like, actual <laughs> scenarios that can happen. You know, they could call AEW and see if Kenny is available <laughs> to step in for Will Ospreay. After that match he had the other night, I hope they call Shima in. Hey. That'd be, good. That'd be a good option, too. Yep. He hit that man with, like, 20 double V-triggers. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, whether it's the best option for them or not really just depends on what the doctor says. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye on any updates on Ibushi and uh, Osprey as we uh, go out throughout this tournament. All right, so now we're going to move on to night four of the G1 Climax 29. We opened up with... Shingo defeating Toriano at 6 minutes and 20 seconds. Barely. Barely beating him. This yeah. man Toriano took Shingo to the limit. Yes. You know, this, <laughs> Yano, he had all the confidence from uh, beating Naito. He's like, I'm going to beat his homeboy too. I'm, I'm going to be the LIJ killer. Right. You know, this dude Yano... Dude. This man came with a full strategy <laughs> to, to defeat this man Shingo and was like, I'm not going to take no bumps to do it. I'm just going to basically escape. Right. Like, I'm going to have a steel cage match essentially, but I'm going to be like, yeah, you cannot get in here, right. but I'm going to keep you elsewhere. And say what you will about Yano. I know there are some people who like him, some people who don't. But I was on the edge of my <laughs> yeah. seat for this match. You bought a near fall, didn't Every you? Every near fall. Anytime Shingo's shoulders were on the mat, I was like, oh my god, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, Shingo, kick out. Me and Jeremy were watching this together, and I was like, why are you freaking out so hard? Is this messing with your brackets, or are you just really into Shingo? And he's like, I just can't believe Toriano would beat Shingo. Like, this is crazy. Bro, he brought this man up the, he basically brought him out. I love the this. Aisle. This is my favorite spot of the match. Bro, Shingo goes out there and meets him. Essentially, and he catches a drop toe hold. Yano's into like, yeah, yeah, into a chair. Yeah, like, it's the Raven. Raven. Yeah, it's the Raven spot, yes. <laughs> then he locks up the gate. He has the Japanese table there. 
He finally breaks he his way through that. that yes. man. He breaks his way through that. Shingo's like, oh, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm going to get up in there. All of a sudden, he looks up. He catches uh, Peter or Tom or Mary, uh, as Rocky Romero would call them, right. uh, the turnbuckle to the face and gets rocked. <laughs> Listen, this was literally the most ingenu- ingenious use of outside furniture to try to get uh, like a count-out win. The last time I saw someone try to do something like this was Brian Kendrick against Kota Ibushi during the Cruiserweight Classic. This man, Yano, was wrestling Shingo like it was WWE 2K, like beat the streak mode. And he was trying to beat the streak. Like, at any cost. At any cost. Whatever it took, he had to keep – like, I want to pick up my two points. I don't care if it's a count out. Like, right. I'm trying to get this tile shot. <laughs> and I loved that. I loved that spot. Like, Shingo barely made it into the ring. And then as soon as he gets to the ring, roll up, roll up, roll up. Right. Yano was trying to do everything. To beat we had some uh, Eddie Guerrero action with, uh, you know, ref going down. Uh, uh, Yano brings in his chair, throws a chair to Shingo, starts selling like he got hit. Referees asking Shingo if he hit Yano with the chair. Shingo's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Bro, and Shingo's like such a, like, he ain't with none of that comedy shit at all. Right. It's like, so it's even funnier. Yeah, you know, Bushi had to come out. Uh, hey, track. All, that, all that said, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went two and a half. Okay. Oh, I went the gentleman's three. Easily three stars. I enjoyed this match. It was as good as you can get for a six minute and 20 second comedy match. I can't go beneath three stars. This match was too good to go beneath three stars. Yeah, uh, I don't know. For me, it's two and a half, but it, it was... Y'all crazy. It was entertaining. It you was know, so good. Bushi came down towards the end, um, got the chair out the ring, and then uh, uh, Shingo's finally able to pin Yano with the pumping bobber. Yes, he did. And um, what a relief. <laughs> like, at that point, like... Yeah, he got like, the we're pin. I was relax. like, oh, can relax. Uh, I've got a question from Reddit user Dino Boy. It says thoughts on Yano so far, and would you prefer Shooter Yano to make a return? We love Shooter Yano, but I'm loving this year's iteration of Yano. Um, he just has this unpredictability. Like we talk about Mox being unpredictable. Nah, Toru Yano's unpredictable. He can be anybody. Like this is crazy. I cannot wait for the Moxley Yano match. <laughs> oh my god! What on earth will John Moxley's reaction be to this guy? That is worth the, the G1 subscription alone. Here's the thing. Right. That man's been dealing with clowns in the WWE for years. He'll know exactly how to react. He'll know exactly what to do. <laughs> Vince, this one's for you. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to bring out Mitch the Plant and hit him over the head with yes. are, are y'all prepared for the bad takes of, oh, he didn't want to do hokey shit. Now he's going to have to wrestle Toriano and do some hokey shit. Oh, yeah. oh, they're coming. Yeah. Oh, he came on this podcast talking about all this clown stuff. Oh, look at him. Look at him with Yano. Yep. But... Just putting it out there, so so when that pops up, do we know when they wrestle? Is that a week from now, two weeks from now, something like that? Y'all can say y'all heard it first here on Keeping It Strong Style. There will be ass heads that do this, but yeah, I thought Yano's been great in this tournament. He's been entertaining. Um, obviously, he's not going out here and having you know four and a half, five star matches out here yet. Yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what he's been doing, it's been very entertaining. It changed the pace on. Cards that have a ton of great matches. It's a different style match. Um, and I loved Shooter Yano from last year. And I wouldn't mind if we got some Shooter Yano. Uh, but this has been fine. And it's, it's been a great uh, comedic relief. Here, here's, here's one thing I'll say about Yano. Everyone's like, oh, he's a comedy guy. We get it. We know what it is. I can, t- I can do without it. But why? if that's the case, then how come every year this guy has different matches with different things, different themes, different gimmicks, and they're all memorable? 
this guy is one of the highlights of the G1 for me every single year. And I know maybe I sound like a freaking New Japan nut hugger when I say that, but like, screw it. I don't care. He has such enjoyable character And I'm matches. telling you, like, when you're watching all those matches back-to-back, whether you're following it, you know, the, the three-day block weekend, the Yano match is refreshing. Yeah. And it, it's short. It gets you through it and be like, oh, okay, cool. At the same time, like, taking the ten- – breaking the tension that you have sometimes, whether it's for your bracket or whatever, you know, it, breaking that up essentially – and it gets you ready for the next match. He's yeah. like, like in the NCAA, he's like one of those like small schools that like is super hungry and they can beat like a big school and you like don't expect it. But then like they're not going to win, you know, like the Final Four or anything like right. that. But like he can upset anybody and he does. And he almost did with Shingo and it was crazy. So uh, next up we had Juice Robinson defeating Hiroki Goto 12 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, oh, I really like this match. Yeah, I thought this was a very good match. It was a nice, uh, hard-hitting uh, match between both these guys. A, a story behind Juice and Goto. We know Juice struggled for so long for to beat Goto and uh, finally getting that win over him. I feel like I've got this um, sort of like, I don't know, like this soft place in my heart for Juice and Goto because... This is one of the few feuds that like started around the time we started this podcast and we have literally watched the entirety of it like from the time that we started. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of the defining feuds of like the era that we've covered and this is just another great chapter. The really interesting thing is that Juice and Goto are both guys who've been kind of down before this tournament started, gained redemption in the first round, came into the second uh, round of the tournament with wins. And you were kind of like, well, who do they put over? Because they're kind of they've kind of pushed both guys, so it's a pick a match at that point. And yeah. uh, it was really it, I didn't know which way they're going to go. Yeah, yeah. It, it literally, it could have gone either way. Uh, but I was happy to see Juice get the win and Juice go two and zero, especially after the tournament that he had last year. It's great to see Juice kind of starting off on the right foot here. And uh, you know, Goto only one loss, he can still recover and end up with a good record here. Um, I love the spot towards the end of the match where uh, Juice goes for the left hand of God and Goto like blocks it with his, with his head, and then they do this, and then uh, Goto throws a fist, and then Juice blocks it with his head, and yes. kind of going back and forth. Uh, that was a great little exchange there until Juice was finally able to hit the left hand of God and the Pope friction to win. It's a solid as fuck twelve minute match, and I think I went three point seven five on it. I went a three and a half. I would have gone three and a half. I really liked it, though. It wasn't the best match they've ever, ever had. But, man, like you said, solid 12-minute match. This was great. And we had a question here. For and I, Oh, and I want to say I was so glad to see Juice pick up another two points. Like, last year, this guy had six points. And he's already, you know, two nights in. He's almost right, past People that. wanted Juice last year to, like... Do well, yeah. And, and Juice is just somebody I think we all kind of root for. We're like we saw him walk out of NXT all those years ago. He's gone to New Japan. He's done it the right way. He's switching his gimmick. He's taking chances on himself because we can feel the hunger from him. We can feel a guy that's trying to create. We can feel a guy that's finally has a secure position now mm-hmm. in the company. And he got a, he has a now he has a legacy to create in Japan. Possibly is like one of the signature form, uh, foreigners ever. Like, he'll have the opportunity. Now, on the other side of the coin, are we starting to kind of get behind Goto again? Because there was a time when we first started watching New Japan where I think we were all firmly in the pro Goto camp. 
And then after watching him lose and lose and lose and lose. I'll hop right the fuck back on the, <laughs> the, the pro Goto bandwagon because I know what Goto looks like. Yeah. At his best. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I'm starting to be, like, I, not that I'd be down on Goto, like, but Goto kind of got into that Dolph Ziggler territory for a little bit there. And now they're starting to revitalize him. And I'm like, <coughs> like, is this the revitalization of Goto? Like, is he back? And I feel like he's starting to be. And I'm ready for that all day. Yeah. Uh, I'll be down for yeah, a revitalized Goto. But, yeah, this was a nice uh, hard-hitting match here. And uh, we have a question here from uh, Reddit user Optimus Lime. <laughs> says, "Does Juice Great Ro- name. Yeah, <laughs> does Juice Robinson have a path to winning the block by claiming revenge on Moxley during the last night?" I want to say that's a great name, but uh, Rich's name on uh, Twitter is even better. <laughs> Hiroshi Tanahisi. What is it? Hiroshi Tanahasi. Tanahasi. That's great. Um, I'm gonna say I get this. compliments on it like every so often. Someone <laughs> just send me, "You have a great Twitter name." <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, "That's the funniest thing ever." Um, yeah, I don't think Juice is winning the block. That's just my claim um, because we've talked about why. I I'm firmly, I'm so firmly in the camp that I think Knights is winning. But I won't be surprised if Juice ends up with equal points to the guys that are at the top of the block, like. And he loses, like, a tiebreaker or something. Right. He's probably going to lose a tiebreaker and maybe end up with, like, 12 points. Yeah. That's yeah. what I think. And I think that that Moxley – I think he will beat Moxley possibly. I'm not – I'm, like, 70% that he's beating Moxley. I, I'm pretty confident he's beating Moxley. I think he's going to beat him and that they're going to set up the uh, U.S. title match at some point. Probably King of Pro Wrestling or something. Probably. Maybe. Um, yeah, unless Juice Robinson changes his name and Tetsuya Naito, I, I think he... Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on to the next matchup, we have uh, Def Rider John Moxley defeating Jeff Cobb at 8 minutes and 57, 57 seconds. Before we move on, is there any chance that you guys see at all that Juice could win the block? No. Didn't we just answer that? No, I feel like only I did. Did you guys? Because I feel like you guys didn't actually say specifically that you thought I could win it. No, no. I, I don't think he can. I said unless he changes his name to Tetsuya Naito. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. That's the only way he has a chance to win. Uh, but yeah, so Moxley and Cobb. Uh, I was very interested to see what we were going to get here from John Moxley just because we'd mentioned how much brawling he'd done in the first couple of big matches he had here. With Cobb, you know, not that Cobb can't brawl, but, you know, he's typically an in-ring sort of guy. He's here to be impressive. Yeah, it, like with the power moves and the suplexes and the throws and his athleticism and all that. And this was kind of an interesting matchup because we haven't really seen Moxley go up against an indie-rific big strongman like Jeff Cobb mm-hmm. in recent times. So this was like a new test for him. And I thought that they did a really good job. This wasn't blow away by any means, but I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, once again, it was only near nine minutes. Not much you can do in such a small time. But they made the most of the minutes they had. Um, but I think once again, we have that question of you know, can Moxley wrestle the New Japan house style? We went to the outside, the brawling on the ramp and stuff like that. So, And, like, I think, you know, they did only have eight minutes and 59 seconds. I know some people were going to say that. I didn't stop Taiji Ishimori and Dragon Lee and Bandito at... Uh, Madison Square Garden, but I think these guys had a different um, task ahead of them than that. They need to 
pack as much as they can into that time, save themselves, and also like get over as two foreigners in New Japan. And plus, I think it's a story they're telling yes. in the match yep. with Moxley that he's a dominant kind of bruiser. Yeah, they don't want him going fifty fifty with some of these guys. They want him no. to be. They want to push him strong. You're hitting it right on the head, Jeremy. That's the point that I was going to make exactly. The storyline here isn't, can Moxley have classic matches? I think he probably can. The The story they're telling right now, especially with him going up against guys that are maybe slotted lower hit than him on the uh, you know card, Taichi, Jeff Cobb, he's, he's getting them out of there quick, and he's doing it in a dominant fashion. A lot of this match revolved around the idea could he even put Jeff Cobb in the Death Rider, which they showed that Jeff Cobb was too wide. He couldn't do it, so he had mm-hmm. to uh, get assist from the ropes and do it like a draping DDT to even do it. One other thing I think about Je- uh, John Moxley, the fact that they didn't brawl too much. They did go out to the ramp, but they didn't go like into the crowd and use lots of weapons. But you know, I've seen some criticism of it, but here's my thing. How many faces in New Japan have that element to where they're brawling on the outside all the time, like what, Togi Magabe? Right. Like anything can yeah. happen. That's pretty much it. Like, I like the idea that there is one guy who's a face on the roster who kind of ha- brings that element to New Japan, and it's kind of different. You know, he's not a member of the Bullet Club. He's not a member of Suzuki Goon. You know, he's he's not, you know, Chris Jericho. So I, I don't really hate it too much, and I thought they kept this mostly in the ring. I thought Jeff Cobb got to get his stuff in, but ultimately it was a quick, short match. John Moxley was dominant, and he picked up another easy two points. Yeah, got the uh, did an elevated uh, draping Death Rider on the middle rope to uh, put Cobb away. Had a smooth three and a half. I have it at a three and a quarter. I'd go three and a quarter on it. And we had a question from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? He had thoughts on Moxley's performance so far. Solid. Yeah, I think we've, we've kind of touched on it uh, throughout the podcast. I think he's been really good. You know, they've been booking him, like we mentioned, dominant kind of bruiser. I think he was doing good. But like we've been saying, I'm curious to see how he does when he has to do a 20-plus minute main event style against Nokata. Yeah, I'm interested in everything he's doing. Like, yes. And I don't think it can necessarily, as early what they've had him to do, it's not going to reflect in star ratings. I want to watch every... Every time he's on the screen, I want to watch when he's in tags with Shota Umino just to see how this guy is because it's like he's a sh- he's a jolt to the system in New Japan. Yeah. I like that, yeah. And it's like let's see how this guy is in this environment. And I think he's just he brings so much, uh, and I, f- I feel like the fans are with him there. Like they're not looking at him like oh this guy is just here for whatever. I feel like they're like. We have this. They know this, the kind of star this guy is right now, dude. They he's got the WWE cachet. They did all those Death Rider videos to to bring him up. He had that awesome match with Juice, and then he's been on fire since then. Like they did such a good job building him up as a credible star in New Japan from day one. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really excited. I believe he has Ishii next. Okay, think, we gonna see it. Yeah. So? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Ishii, that was our next matchup with Ishii defeating Switchblade Jay Waito at 19 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, a couple things. A, this was the match of the night for me. B, this is one of my matches of the tournament. And C, I couldn't believe Ishii beat Jay White. I was so shocked. I'm right there with you. This was my match of the night. 
one of the best matches of the tournament, and I also was surprised Ishii beat Jay White. I was not surprised Ishii <laughs> beat Jay White. Can you not work the gimmick, <laughs> sir? <laughs> So, let's not do it. So, um, Jay White has had it coming. I mentioned it earlier. Chaos dudes want his head. Rocky Romero is telling us about it on commentary. The Chaos dudes have huddled. They know what their objective is in this tournament. And they will not fail uh, to, to take this guy out on, you know, the leader for or the orders from their leader, Okada. They're, they're cheating because Okada beat him in the in um, MSG. He gave them the game plan. Right, yeah. And now they, now they're they cheating. all... They're cheating. They gave, yep. gave them the book. Correct. Um, yeah, I, I like this match a lot. I wasn't... Uh, I didn't go as high. I went four and a quarter again on this. And I, I don't would, know. I, I felt would, like I saw a lot of the stuff coming when, when they were doing it. I agree. There there was a lot of parts uh, where I would agree. Like I saw it kind of coming. Um, it was I thought it was really good. Those uh, and this is any Ishii match, but especially in this one when he was chopping uh, Jay throat. in the throat in the corner. Man, that was vicious. Anytime he does that, obviously it is. Jay is really like we 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 sing his praises on the show, but man, his selling like throughout this match. Anytime Ishii got an offense, like he was like crumbling, like it was like Zack Saber Jr. esque, which was really great. But what elevated the match was the closing sequence. Man, I didn't know what to think was going to happen because I again it was that Goto sequence where I just kept thinking Jay was going to catch Ishii, and like Goto, I could see him beating him because they had a backstory and because Goto was coming for redemption and all that. Ishii was just Ishii, like mm-hmm. he's a guy that could beat or lose to Jay White in this G1, and it doesn't matter. But Ishii was having none of it this night. He was going to put it on him. Yeah. He brought that never belt out to the ring yeah. and was like, you never want to fuck with me. <laughs> and then... You never want the smoke yes. with Tomohiro Ishii. Right. And, and Jay White, had he beat Ishii, there would be a claim for a never title shot. I don't think Jay White's going to wrestle for the never belt because... He's not about that life. He's not, you know... We, we, we know... Uh, Jay White doesn't want that kind of smoke with Ishii. So, just, you know, an, another win for, for Ishii before he goes on the, on the uh, road to the dome. The road to the dome. <laughs> uh, I love, I went four and a half on this one. I really enjoy this matchup. I, I love the offense here from Ishii that, uh, and just the selling as well, the sleeper suplex that Jay gave him. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. my God. Dropped he Ishii dropped him on right his head. On his head. That was um, scary. Like, yeah. that was, that, I, that was kind of a botch. And, uh, and just a lot of the great counter moves that they were doing, like you mentioned, Josh, just um, Ishii being able to fight out the Blade Runner, and, and then that final sequence when he counters out, out of the last Blade Runner, hits a flatliner, then hits a lariat and gets him up for the Brain Buster and just drops him. Yeah, I love this matchup, and once yeah, it's one of my top matches of the tournament. I don't think Jay White needs a new finisher, but if he'd had that finisher for years and years... With the way that people are countering it so much, it would almost seem like he needs a new tool. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the way they're almost painting this. I think he's obviously going to find a new way to imp- implement that uh, move and, and gain victory again. But, man, like, he's 2-0 and against Chaos Guys back-to-back, and he's got a third one coming up, right? Uh, he's got Yano. Yeah. yeah. He's got Yano, and, yeah. I mean, he could <laughs> easily lose to Yano yeah. and go 0-3 in this tournament. And also, there was a... Which uh, I don't think he will, but... 
there was a stalling super superplex spot yes. too. Bro, and he like he jumped so far back and tossed this man. Like that was the angle he had. Like he wasn't. You know, many times when guys are doing those stalling suplexes from the top rope, they mm-hmm. hold him erect, like straight up. But this was like he was bent over, and then he threw him back, and it was picturesque. But it looked so violent. Like this is one of the best like turnbuckle suplexes I've ever seen. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that um, Tomohiro Ishii received the check. <laughs> uh, Fuck him up, Ishii. <laughs> Fuck him up. Uh, we had a question from Reddit user. EMJ does PR. He says, Jay Waito showing he's top guy material. This match versus Ishii was his best to date. Agree or disagree? Thoughts? Okay, I would say no. Disagree. I would disagree. I think he's had several matches that I would say were better, in my opinion. I like the match with Juice from last year at the Cow Palace better. Um, I think I like both Okada matches better. Um, the Will Ospreay match was really great. So he's had... Plenty of great matches. Yeah, I would say his best match was uh, the MSG match. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. possibly yeah. That, Although every day I'm higher and higher on that Juice match. Every time I think about it more and more, I'm like higher than I was when I first watched it. What I will say, though, I think this match showed how he reacts to the strong a strong style opponent. We really haven't seen him in there with a, kind of like a bruiser brawler. I mean, the record is flipped. Like Ishii. <laughs> so it was kind of good to see that kind of mix up a matchup and kind of see how he, he handles a, a guy like Ishii. I like, oh, one thing we didn't touch on. I like Jay's new gear a lot. Yes, the gear is raw. His gear is raw. I don't like his entrance gear as much, but his actual in ring gear is great. Yeah. But here's the funny thing Jay is having better matches, but he's coming off in a way, and maybe people will take this the wrong way. But he's not coming off quite as much like a star. Does that make sense? Like, he doesn't seem as much like the top guy he was when he was carrying the IWGB title. Mm -hmm. I know that carrying the title obviously means you're the top guy. But he seems kind of lost in the shuffle. I think that's part of what's going on. Like, he's not the top heel in the company necessarily right now. That's not to say... Do this. Where do you see him at Russell Kingdom? Mm. At Russell Kingdom, I don't see him in in title contention. Is he in the top six? Yeah. Okay. He's one of the top four, top five guys in the company right now, but I don't see him like for Oh yeah, there's two domes. Of course he's gonna be in the last three matches of one of them. Here's yeah. here's what I mean by that. When he was coming out in those matches against Okada, it was like, Oh my god, this guy seems like a star. Now he seems like a top guy, but he's like being cycled down to like that waiting period that they do with guys to where it's like he's gonna be cycled back in, but now is not the time. Like So maybe you should just go crazy, start doing cocaine and bring balloons to the ring. No. So maybe you should do that. You know? <laughs> well, well, you know how they talked about how they gave him Kenny's booking up until MSG? I yeah. think they absolutely did. And then now he's kind of in this different period where it's like he's still rebuilding from the loss that he had. But his matches are better. And the crowd definitely hates him. Like, you know, we talked about how that popularity contest, that that – he was nowhere near the top. Like he's not one of the top gaijin in terms of popularity in Japan, but his matches are like better than ever. He's getting better day after day, but it's just he's in this precarious position right now where he still has something to prove in New Japan. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting story seeing him try to come back from behind um down two losses for the rest of this tournament. I, I think it's it's definitely we're going to see an interesting story being yeah, developed here yeah, with Jay. Yeah, because he's a, he's a heel that people hate and then he's got to have to like 
chase someone down? That's <laughs> weird. Well, here's the funny thing. He's not alone in that. We're going to talk about it at the end of this, but I think we should move on to the next match. But you're right, Rich. He's not the only guy that's in that boat. Like, almost all the top guys are in that boat. Yeah, very interesting. So the main event of this night was Taichi taking on Tetsuya Naito, defeating Tetsuya Naito. Oh, wow. How about 21 it? 21 minutes. How about it, Rich? Naito's different than John Moxley. <laughs> Naito is not the hottest guy in the, in the wrestling world. He is the um, hot. How about he, it? I, pred- I predicted this one. Yeah, I, I did too, actually. I called Taichi to win this. Like, I was like, oh, they in Taichi's hometown? Shit. That, that, might be a, that might be a loss right there, Chief. And it was. And I think uh, the LIJ stands, they gotta, they just got to back away from the bridge, uh, unload the gun, you know, any uh, other, oh my other thing. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down. Like, they've been jerked around. it. They're a sensitive bunch. Let's be clear here. John Moxley, huge star, maybe the biggest independent star in all of wrestling. But in Japan, he's not Naito. Naito is the biggest star in New Japan Pro Wrestling, period. And he got beat by Taichi. He did, but there were you know plenty of shenanigans. Absolutely. A lot of stalling. You had Kanemaru out there. You had Miho Abe out there. But here's what I'll say, because I've seen a lot of varying opinions on this match on Twitter, on Reddit, all over the internet. I thought this match was so uh, good. I, there was plenty of shenanigans in this match, but I still thought it was great. I thought it added to, to, it to the match. Did. It added to the match. It, it wasn't to the point where you're like, oh my god, here we go again. Yep, it was you like, know me, I'll be like, here come that bullshit, quick. Yeah. And I was just like, this all makes sense. Yeah, I, I love this match. Dude, there, there's a match, not to get too off subject, but there's this match from 2003 in TNA where it's Raven versus AJ Styles, and it's one of those Attitude Era, tons of run-ins, tons of like... What? A hard, hard Justice match? No, it's from before they even were on TV. It's gotcha. like one of those weekly, pay-per-view. weekly pay-per-views. And I love this match, and it's so good. And it's like one of those Russo era, like tons of run-ins, tons of like interferences, but... In the context of their match, it just works. And sometimes, it just works. And in this match, I thought it just worked. Yeah. And I like this a lot better than their match from New Beginning this year. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the best matches they've had. I liked it as much as the first match they had the year prior. Mm. Since Taichi's heavyweight run, that is. Yeah. Taichi was kicking him hard. I, I don't think Naito was... Um, he wasn't his normal, like, super worker self. But um, Taichi impressed me. Like in, I even the you know the shenanigans. Kanemaru was out there. Uh, he almost spit missed, but he didn't quite uh, do it. The Satori special. Yeah. yeah. It. It. I don't know. It's really hard to to elaborate on this, which and, uh, I know is a is an audio medium. But this match, it just felt right. Yeah, and we finally saw um, the Iron Glove that was. Uh, handed down from Iska. We've been, Iska. We've been we, speculating. On, uh, the night before, he, he finally pulled it out of the bag after the multi-man tag. And was we like, didn't even know if it was really in there or not. And, like, listening to it. And so he pulled it out here. There were several teasers throughout the match until finally, at the end, he was finally able to catch Naito with it. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been speculating, does he even have the Iron Claw? And then when he finally pulled it out, we're like, oh, he really does. And then we, me, me and Jeremy have been talking about this match for a while, and we're like, I think Taiji's going to beat Naito. They've had this is their third meeting since Tai Chi went to heavyweight mm-hmm. and you know he's lost both prior matches to Naito it felt like Naito probably needed to take a loss in a big situation and like Rich said they're in Tai Chi's home like hometown mm-hmm. 
and you know Naito already had that upset loss to Yano. Hey, is the white belt in danger? I don't think so, but uh, you know Taichi might have a real claim to possibly challenge for that again. I think a lot of fans are probably going to lament that. That's not to say it will happen because you know if Taichi ends up with only like four points at the end of this block, he's mm-hmm. not getting a title shot. Right? You know I mean? Yeah. But uh, you know. Taichi, there is a story to be had where Naito and Taichi go way further back than just the past two years. They've had right. multiple yeah. matches. Yeah, they've been talking about on commentary the whole, you know, them wrestling each other as juniors and Taichi kind of being a senior at that point and now Naito has surpassed Taichi. And he always used to beat Naito back then as well. Yeah. And yeah, Naito's the top star now. He always beats Taichi. And yeah, Taichi had to pull out all the stops, but it really worked in the context of this match. Um, and also... Naito hit him with that freaking um, scoop. Uh, Northern Lights bomb. That Northern Lights bomb. Oh, that was awesome. And the ref was down. And you would have believed that if the ref had been there, he, he could have beat Tai Chi. But, you know, the ref bump worked in that context. It was just so great. Yeah, I went uh, four stars on like, this. Like, I know you might, y'all might hear the interference and be like, if you haven't seen the match, well, I'm not going to watch this. But it will all make sense if you watch this, yeah. what we're saying. <laughs> I, I agree. And you know what? Like, there is an overarching story for all the top guys in this tournament, and it, and this just completed the circle. So it made sense that Naito lost here. But yeah, I mean, Taichi picks up, I would say, the biggest win of his heavyweight run to date. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so I went uh, four on this. What did you guys go? I went 3.75. Four. I went solid four stars. I really, really, really enjoyed this. Nice. So that wraps up the G1 nights. We have a few questions here. We'll look at the rankings and then take a look at the next three nights that are coming up. Um, so we got a question here from Ricky. He says, what's been your favorite match so far? So I had to think about this pretty hard. There's been a lot of great matches. But when it's all said and done, there's only been one match that peaked as high for me as it did. And it's real simple. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazushika Okada on night one is still, to me, the match of the tournament. I think that it will be surpassed. But right now, four nights in, that's my best match. And I agree with you. Okada Tanahashi is still my favorite match, still my top match of the tournament. I don't know if it's the live bias, but to me, that match um, just had a little bit something more special than some of the other matches. So for me, it's Lance Archer and Will Ospreay. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, uh, and I didn't see it coming. It was... The birth of a new like dude in Lance Archer. It was the the Seth Rollins fuck you challenge from Will Ospreay uh, <laughs> little, weeks after he wrestles Baron Corbin. Little guy, right? Yeah, it, it, the little guy challenge, the standoff. It was it was such a like dick swinging moment for Osprey. Like I can take Lance Archer, who's Lord knows when the last time he's had a good match. Oh, his last good match was with me. Um, <laughs> so and. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I, I believe, just like Josh said, I believe this will be surpassed. But um, another match I would I would throw in there is Robinson and Shingo for me. Mm. Man, you were so high on that I match. I loved it. <laughs> like, it was so hard-hitting. They, 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 they got me. Like, <laughs> Osprey Archer would be my second match for his, me. His Robinson and Shingo is like my Archer and Fale. Fale yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question from BJ Baker. He says, "How have your predictions been going? Mine are not going well. I'm currently twelve and eight. Um, I feel like for me, I haven't kept track of them probably the way that Jeremy is, but I feel like mine have been going okay. But the the big shocks that are shocking everybody, like 
Naito losing to Yano. Naito, well, actually, I called Naito and Taiji, but there's a lot of those those shocking moments. They're shocking me too, and I feel like yeah. probably everybody. I don't have mine added up right now, but I can tell you mine's not great either. Like I, you know, Yano, I did not. I had Naito going over Yano, and there's a couple other matches that I did not predict correctly. I think I might have gotten like three or two correct on like each night so I'm, I'm not doing well either bj so since i didn't do a bracket or make any predictions it feels like a year where i didn't play fantasy football or something so i'm just watching without that pressure mm. and i'm just enjoying it more uh but i probably would have been would have missed all those like big ones yeah uh next question from uh, rambone slam pig he says has anyone surprised you by over overperforming beyond what you expected so far what about the reverse uh well i think the Obvious answer, and I think it's going to be everyone's answer, is Archer. And I think Archer is putting himself firmly in line to be a top candidate for most improved for the year. Yeah. Um, Taichi is also someone who's putting himself in that position as well. Yeah, I, mean, I would yeah, definitely Archer would be my number one after the Osprey match and then the freaking the Fale match. Having a, a good match with Fale. Who knew? Uh, you know, and here's the thing. He still has Okada. He still has Tanahashi. Yeah. Like, Archer is Ibushi, a, yeah, Sonata. yeah. Archer's on the way on having a you know an all time great tournament here. Um, so yeah, he's my top guy. As far as the reverse, um, as far as underperforming, is there anybody you can you feel it's kind of underperforming right now? Yeah, I've got one person, and it's going to sound controversial. I don't want it to sound controversial, but let me explain. For me, it's Kenta. Mm. The floor is yours, sir. So with Kenta, I'm not going to bury him. He's having good matches. So anyone – like I know there's probably someone out there that's like a Noah Mark that's like, what are you talking about right that, now? That is throwing their cell phone yeah. out the window right. while they're driving. Kenta is doing great. He's having great matches, but we haven't seen the best that he has to offer just yet. I don't think he's gotten his feet underneath him entirely. The matches have been good. I wouldn't call them next level great just yet. And so I know because I know that the the ceiling is higher for him. I would say I don't. He's the one guy I don't think is living up to his full potential. Everybody else I think is doing as well as I would expect them or hope them to be. He's the one guy that I'm like I want to see more mm. because it's not just about how good the matches are. It's about individual performance. Right. And I'm waiting to see more from Kenta. For me, I think the one guy would probably be Naito. But mm. part of it is how he's booked. Obviously, he had the Yano match that was four minutes. Clearly, he couldn't really do much there. And then the Tai Chi match, we just praised it. But like you mentioned, Rich, like he wasn't quite that like yeah. top Naito, you know, Naito versus Omega caliber stuff we were seeing. I mean, it was still great, but it wasn't that next level Naito. And you know, that's but you know, he's losing. He's on the downtrend right now. Plenty of time to pick it back up. But for me, that's kind of where I'm at. Do you know what my argument to that would be? He's on that next level. He carried this. He carried Yano to a three-star match. He carried Taichi to a four-star match. This man's having an incredible tournament so far. Well, I, I don't think that Yano matches three stars. So. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of weird looking at it. Um, I I think Juice has done great. Uh, We're talking far. about the reverse, sir. Uh, well, I've got to get my my, he, my he, he didn't give good his, ones out. Oh, my bad. Uh, of course, Archer. Um. But, yeah, aside from that, bad luck Fale. He's uh, even worse than I thought. No, I'm just playing. Um, I'm actually surprised he's doing not as bad as I expected him to. Yeah, right. Um, so far. There's still time. Someone that is underperforming. 
kind of difficult because I think everyone's been at a certain level. I don't think anyone's like, I don't think anyone's like, no one's like running away with this thing. So yeah. I'll be controversial and say Ichi's not achieving the heights that we're used to. He's just solid as fucking really good right now. What about Kotobushi? You can make the same argument about Kotobushi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can make the same argument. Like, you know, instead of being like, you know, 4.75 and up and breaking the scale, <laughs> they're, you know, they're hovering around four or but four it, and a quarter. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Right. Be like, you know, oh, you're splitting hairs there. But that's just how, like, everyone's – no. There hasn't been enough that's happened for people to like break away to, so we can really zoom in on the narratives yet. Isn't that like a great problem to have? It's like these guys are only having four and a quarter matches instead of four and three quarter matches. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a star ratings like geek, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, next, I'm, I'm ready for somebody to break the scale. God damn it, uh, <laughs> it's my time. So no one's ever broken the scale. All right. Did, did you not watch Omega Okada <laughs> yeah. Dominion last you know? year? Yeah, solid five stars. I saw seven. I saw seven. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see eight, you know. No, I, I was leaning a little seven and a quarter, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with a flat seven. Uh, a smooth seven. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, maybe Dave underrated that match. <laughs> oh, you stupid. You know. Uh, next question from Reddit user uh, EMJ does PR. He says, um, Kenta or Moxley, who's had the better showing so far? Mm, I saw this question and I thought to myself, this is a tough one to answer because they're completely different. Yeah, and I feel like they're being kind of booked differently a little. They are. You know, I'll, I'll give you my answer real, real simply. And it's you kind of have to find your ground in the middle when it comes to this question. I'm going to go with Kenta. As being the guy that's had the better showing, but it's only because to me he's had more opportunity to show right. more. He's been in longer matches, uh, while Moxley has been <laughs> in you know two you know two pretty much eight minute matches, and one of them got to wrestle Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi. The other one got Jeff Cobb and Taichi. Yeah, but on the flip side, if you're talking about just in the G1, then I'd say Kenta. If you're talking about since they both returned, which was relatively short. You know, period of time ago, I'd go Moxley. Moxley, because yeah. we already look. If, if this is as good as it gets for Kenta, right? Say like, who else does he have? Right? He has Okada, which can be great. Osprey can be great. You know, what if Folly don't want to go deal with that kicking shit? What if <laughs> what if uh, Archer doesn't want to put up with that shit? Right? Like, what if Evil's just like, I don't feel like you know, we'll just do a match. You know, he could easily fall off a cliff. And Moxley still has uh, Ishii, White. Godo, Naito, Robinson, to all go through. By the end of this tournament, Moxley's going to wash him. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm you hot think take, so? Hot take here. Moxley's going to wash him by the end of this tournament. Unless Kenta ends up in the finals against Naito and they have like a five star classic, break the scale. <laughs> yeah, then at that point, I will come out and apologize to Kenta. But well, you're never going to be back on the show, so do it on Twitter. <laughs> Gosh. I'll just go to hell. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I, I'm going. I stop saying that. That's a terrible thing to say to my friend. <laughs> I'm going Kenta also right now. Nice. Uh, next question again from Optimus Lime. He said, "I love that name. Like, I'm gonna put that name. Anytime he ever writes in Optimus Lime, keep writing him because we're gonna put your name over every single time." <laughs> uh, with Naito, Abushi, Tanahashi, and Jay White all being 0 and 2. 
Bunch which, of losers. <laughs> which are you surprised the most about, and which of them do you think still has a chance of winning the block? Okay, so this is the storyline that I wanted to touch on and one of my overarching thoughts in the entire tournament. I'm going to a- answer the question, but I think we need to discuss this first and foremost. Gato has busted everybody's brackets by booking the top talent. The top, well, not, I shouldn't say top talent, the top booked gentlemen in this company. Naito, Abushi, Tanahashi, and Jay White. Guys that you easily would think are going to end up with the top points in the tournament. And they probably still are. But putting them all in two point or four point deficits right out the gate. And then instead elevating top, like, like guys who are kind of meandering. And elevating them, guys like Archer, guys like Evil, guys like Sonata, and... Mm-hmm. You know, Goto and Juice Robinson. And it feels like this is a reset in the entirety of New Japan Pro Wrestling as a company because they're elevating their mid card to a higher level. So that going forward, we always hear this complaint from people that maybe don't watch as often or who are fair weather fans. Well, New Japan's great, they have good matches, but it feels like it's always the same top guys at the top and they don't elevate people and they don't build stars. Well, you should be watching this tournament because that's exactly what they're doing right now. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely agree with you. Um, by putting all these guys in one name, he missed uh, Saber. Saber's also Saber's down. Saber's another one, yeah. And two. By putting all of these guys that you would think would be 2-0 and o up there with Okada, you are elevating, like you mentioned, those Sonatas who are right at the cusp, your Evils, your Ospreys, yeah. other guys. You're making them look strong elevating them like they're doing better than former IWGP champions better than former Tokyo Dome main eventers Shingo Taiji they're they're running plays for other players right now right and when it's time to go back to the old reliables that's gonna it's gonna feel that much better because you're familiar with it and B those old reliables will have future stories to go back to be like oh the last time they got in there with such and such you know, it didn't go so well for them. You know, and, and we, we largely know who the top people are in the company. But New Japan has been the premier star-making company in the world for the past four years. Maybe five, six, seven years. I was going to say, like, longer than that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'll just keep counting back. Like, we literally have a promotion just pop up that wouldn't exist without New Japan. So, people that are saying these things, Josh, we know who they are. We know what their agendas are. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? This is it. Like, in, in the it, past, it, they haven't been wrong. In the past, there there's been this tradition of having your big four, your big five, and those guys getting, uh, you know, preferential booking, and then having guys booked beneath them. But in this year, what they did was they took out the worked. They took yeah. <laughs> they took out the old guard. They brought in the new guard. And then they put big victories over the top guys and elevated their mid-card to a new level to where everything's reset now. This is like, on a mass level, 50-50 booking. Like, people don't realize, this is long-term storytelling 50-50 booking because all these guys are going to get their wins back over the next year or two years, but they're going to draw money off of it. Instead of it being Monday Night Raw and then SmackDown and the guys get get a win and then lose it within a week, it's going to be like they have built up big matches over the next two years mm-hmm. that are going to draw at Power Struggle and Don Taku and, you know, all these different big shows. This is so smart what, what 
Gato has done. Like, yeah. this is maybe one of the most brilliant... I don't want to misspeak too early, but already it's shaping up to be one of the most brilliantly booked G1s in modern times. So, out of all these guys, who has the best chance of recovering from their 0-2 loss and winning the block? Well, I'm going to say all of them are going to recover and end up at the top of their blocks, except for I don't know about Tanahashi. Tanahashi's the one guy where, like, we were kind of like, he probably might win the A block, and he still might. Yeah, I mean, he was my, my, my thing, he was my A block winner. But here's the difference. Naito losing to Taichi and, you know... Yano. Yano is a big difference from Tanahashi losing to Okada and Kenta, who are going to be point total leaders. Yeah. And Jay White losing to Goto and Ishii is a big difference from that. Tanahashi's taken the most significant losses of any of any of these guys, save for like maybe Zack Saber has lost to Sonata and and Okada. That's pretty big as well. Um, but I mean, if I still think Naito's winning the A block. Him and Jay White, uh, or I'm sorry, block. B Block. Him and Jay White are facing off in the finals. They're probably so going to be one at, of those guys going to win. They're going to be at the top of the block. Yeah. Um, and then I think Ibushi and Tanahashi and Zach are all going to recover and have good point totals towards the end. I still think it comes down to Ibushi or Tanahashi. But and here's the interesting. And you might be right. So the next matchup for Tanahashi is going to be make or break because he's facing Saber next. They're both down 0 and 2. Whoever loses that match is probably going to be out of luck. Ooh, that's a big... That's big. I think Tanahashi's got to get that win high over Zach. High fly flow. <laughs> that's another thing. He's busted out the high five flow the last two matches. And we were like... Before the... the <laughs> uh, before the tournament started, we were like, is he even going to be hitting those? And it's like, well, apparently he will be. Look, had, had everybody fooled think he was going to start doing that whack-ass finisher that he did that one time. Yeah. No. But I'll, I'll tell you the truth, Optimus. I'm I'm most surprised by all of them. I didn't see this coming, like at all, and I don't think anybody did. Show me your bracket where you had all six of these guys or all five of these guys going zero and two, and I'm gonna call you a liar. Like you didn't have that bracket <laughs> unless your name was Gato. <laughs> like this is impossible. Oh my gosh. But um, yeah, I'm I'm super surprised. What about you guys? Yeah, like was mentioned, yeah, very surprised. I did not see this coming. You know. Maybe one or two, but the fact that you got like one, two, three, four, five of the top guys in the company all down 0-2 is very surprising. It's great. I love it. Yeah. This tournament is so unpredictable this year. Also, before we move on, I want to give a shout-out to our good friend Ricky. He, he had one of the first questions here in this uh, question phase here when he asked us what our favorite match so far has been. Ricky is not a New Japan fan, and he's he... he hosts one of the best shows on our podcast network, the Ricky and Clive podcasting show. And um, this is his first G1 he's ever watched. And so, yeah, I want to give a shout-out to Ricky. Yeah, shout-out to Ricky, man. He's enjoying what he's seeing so far. What's up, Rick? <laughs> uh, so, moving on. Question from Reddit user Slick underscore 36. Says, Shinsuke Nakamura's debut at NXT in Dallas was the first time both these guys and Fight Forever were chanted. Koto Ibushi was in the crowd that night, and Kento was on the roster sitting out due to injury. Do you think it was meaningful to them to hear those chants in that city? It seemed to be a coming out party to the American audience for Shinsuke in Strong Style. I think there was something similar with the Climax show, particularly with the last two matches, with the three biggest stars of the company and Kento reclaiming his former identity. I think that that is an incredible observation, Slick underscore 36. I never thought about that. 
until you ask this question. And that's a great way to think about things. Now, I will say this. I love that Nakamura and Zayn match, but I wish those both these guys in Fight Forever chants had gone to hell. I hate <laughs> those chants. Like, we we go to NXT Largo Loop shows, you know, on like a Wednesday night, and we hear, Fight Forever! And I'm like, no! <laughs> With like, Babatunde versus Reddick Moss is like... That, that, that's why AEW's bringing back time limit draws, trying to get rid of that shit on the low. Velveteen Dream versus... Uh, Who's the the big guy from the big guy he that we watched him wrestle, the guy that that had all the mental issues? Oh, uh, Lars. Yeah, Lars, Lars Sullivan. Yeah. Like my God. But you know what? That's you bring up an incredible point. The fact that these guys were there on that special night in Dallas, and then in the same city, a few years removed from that. Like that's incredible, and I'm sure. Great observation. Yeah. I just don't know how to connect that to anything. But well, well, we touched on it last week. We were like, you know, do they want? North American responses when they're in North America the same way that they kind of that we all as fans want to see European football chants at UK shows and maybe they do and I'm sure you know what at the end of the day they want responses from the fans and so I'm sure that whether it was them saying fight forever or this is awesome or you know just clapping respectfully and saying Naito over and over again Mm -hmm. like I'm sure they wanted something and I'm sure that meant something to those guys for sure. Yeah, like those dudes don't get that good um, at what they do to not want. Unless you're like <laughs> something like a Brian Pillman type or something, right? Yeah. Or like a a Darby Allen, if you will. <laughs> um, you know, usually if you're that good at something, you want that appreciation on some level. So I would I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, I think. You know, we did kind of talk about the dynamics of that crowd, but I think the crowd definitely helped elevate that show and how energetic they were. And I'm sure if you're a competitor and you're getting that kind of response, you're, you're going to love that. Yeah. Like, nah, shut up. Like, <laughs> like, I don't want you to, you know. <laughs> Librarian. <laughs> um, but let's go over the rankings real quick going into the next uh, set of nights. So in the A block, we have Lance Archer, and Kazuchika Okada, and Kenta at top all tied. 2-0, 4 points. We have Evil, Bad Luck, Fale, Will Ospreay, and Sonata all tied with one win, one loss, 2 points. And then at the bottom of the block, we have Zack Sabre Jr., Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kota Ibushi all tied 0-2, 0 points. Then the over, Zara world. Yeah. Then over on the B block, on top, we have Juice Robinson and John Moxley and Ishii, 2-0 and oh, and 4 <laughs> points. Then... Um, all tied with one win and one loss. We have Shingo, Goto, Yano, and Tai Chi, two points. And then tied at the bottom, we have Jay White, Jeff Cobb, and Naito, 0-2, zero points. Your Dark Horse Finals, Lance Archer versus Tomohiro Ishii, the G1 <laughs> Finals. Run it. <laughs> oh, that would probably be incredible. That actually would be awesome. Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So that we come back with action for G1 Climax on Night 5, taking place on July 18th. This is A Block. We will have Kenta versus Lance Archer, Evil versus Sonata, Okada versus Bad Luck Fale, Tanahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr., and Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay. I'm even more convinced that uh, Will Ospreay will be hopping off the injury table and Ibushi will wrap that shit up and they will have a great match because it's the main event. I was yeah. about to say allegedly. We don't even know. Yeah, allegedly. allegedly. So let's do some uh, rapid fire predictions here. So Kenta and Archer, who you guys got? Got Lance. Kenta. 
Uh, man, this is. A, I think I'm going Kenta. Okay, Evil and Sonata. That's the tough one. Oh, and it's something we failed to mention on the undercard on night four. These guys were in a six-man tag, and they built this one-on-one matchup great. There was tension between Evil and Sonata. Um, of course, they, they, I think they, they won that match. That team. Or did they lose? Suzuki even won that match. Yeah, Suzuki even won that match, and then there was a little scuffle after the match between Evil and Sonata. Evil tried to hit Sonata with the Everything is Evil STO. Started a little, a little scuffle, and then they walked off. Another thing we forgot to mention, and I wanted to mention this on air, Archer has this new gimmick where he just lays out every young lion that's in his path. Like, he used to spit on the fans, and I hated that, but now he just punches young lions and drops them. I'm I'm here for that all day. I love it. It's such a Stan Hansen, like Bruiser Brody type thing. Like so many guys want to capture that essence and they don't, but Archer is capturing it by just laying out guys that are at his disposal and I love it. Uh but I'm gonna go Sonata. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Sonata, but man, I could really see I could it's 50-50. I could see him going evil so easily, especially with him beating Kotobushi. Yeah. I'm going to take Sonata because when it comes to evil and Sonata, I always take Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> Okada, bad luck, Fale. I'm going, I'm going Okada. Yeah, I'm going Okada. Um, there's a there's a slight chance Fale could get a title shot at the end of the year uh, at one of those shows. I don't think they're going to give him a title shot, but I could see Fale winning, but I'm going to go Okada in this instance. Yeah, I'll take Okada. All right. Ace and Saber. Tanahashi. Ace rides again. Yeah, I'm going with Ace also. Because he's knocked out if he doesn't win it. And I, I think Zach can be knocked out and play spoiler, but I, w- I can't imagine. I'll be, I'll cry if Tanahashi loses. <laughs> then uh, Ibushi Osprey. That's so tough. I'm going Ibushi, getting that win back. I gotta, yeah, I'm going Coda. I got to go Coda, but man, yeah, that's a tough one. Then on night six, we got um, July 19th, B-Block action, Shingo and Taichi. Who you got? Taichi, you can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going Shingo. I'm going Shingo. Then we got Juice Robinson and Jeff Cobb. I'm going Jeff Cobb. I He's got to get a win somewhere. Jeff Cobb's got to get a win somewhere, and I think it would be easy to pick like the first three or four matches to be Jeff Cobb losses. But I think this will be where he picks up a big win, and I'm going to say Jeff Cobb. Yeah, I know, I know my, my bracket, I went with Juice, but my gut is telling me Cobb, so I'm going to go Cobb. Ooh! Yeah, I say that because, like, all right, like, Juice, he's not there anymore, but he was in, like, ROH for, uh, he did, like, a lot of, like, work over there. And this is an ROH guy. You protect a lot of your New Japan guys rather than putting you, who you may be severing partnerships with. That's a whole nother story. Um, I don't like this logic because by the logic you're telling me, if Jeff Cobb easily beats Juice, then Matt Taven is superior to both of them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I got, no, but I you make Cobb. a good point. Yeah. Uh, Yano and Jay White. Jay. Yeah, I'm going Jay also. <laughs> Come on. Jay. <laughs> uh, Goto. You gotta breathe with, the, breathe with the switch play, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Goto and Naito. Oh, oh I'm, go, I'm going to Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, it, go, it, it'll be time for yeah, him to start It's winning. time for Naito. Yeah, I'm going Naito. And the main event that night is Ishii Ooh. versus John Moxley. And I'm going the Rich Ladder route. I'm going with Ishii. I'm going to go Ishii, but I really think I'm wrong. I think John Moxley's winning, but I'm just going to pick Ishii. 
I know you think Moxley's winning. I think Moxley's winning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but! <laughs> that would coincide with the previously laid out plan of Tomohiro Ishii going undefeated and going to the Tokyo Dome. Tomohiro Ishii. <laughs> <laughs> We're such marks on this podcast. This is like, there's definitely people listening to us and they all know Moxley's winning. They're like, you freaking geeks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll look, I'll be a gimmick for Ishii. <laughs> Harass me in my mentions. Uh, then the last night before our next recording will be night seven on July 20th. A Block is back in action. We got ZSJ and Bad Luck Fale. Who you got? I'm going to go ZSJ. Now, this one's interesting because during the press conference, Zach, I don't know exactly what he said, but he said something to get under Fale's skin and Fale flipped over the table. On a previous episode, I couldn't remember who it was, but it was definitely Zach. So there's a little bit of heat there, but uh, I see Zach uh, getting him in some sort of hold and tapping out bad luck Fale. I got Sabre winning, but I think it might be some kind of count out win. Oh, that's possible. I got bad luck Fale with the bad luck fall. He loves nothing more than to beat up small dudes. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. So far, if if my booking is correct, then Fale would go 0-4. And, and, I mean, he never he never loses this many times in the G1. Well, maybe it's the reverse last year. I guess yeah. so. Next, we got Tanahashi versus Lance Archer. I'm going ace. I'm going ace. I have to go ace, but I think Archer should beat him. Mm-hmm. Then we got... Uh, nah, I know he shouldn't. Go Ace. <laughs> Kenta versus Evil. I don't... Uh, see, like, this, this stuff is hard because it's like, you know there needs to be upsets, but, like, you see the big name and you want to go with the big name. I'm going to go Kenta. Yeah, I'm going Kenta. I think they're going to go the ELP route with him. Have him... I'm going with Evil. Mm. Um, Evil's going to need points somewhere. Kenta's going to need to be brought back to reality somewhere. This is a trap game. Uh, I'll take evil. I like I like Jeremy's theory that he loses closer to the end, so that's why. But uh, you know that'd be a big win for evil. So you might not be wrong. Yeah. Then we got Abushi and Sonata. I'm gonna go Sonata. I'm also gonna go Sonata. Oh wow! I'm going with Kota Abushi. Okay. Mm. I'm going with uh, Sonata so that both Evil and Sonata beat Abushi. Proving mm. that they're the dominant tag team, not the Golden Lovers. Oh my gosh. That's the- a fucking lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pure elitists. Hate me if you want. Uh, Golden Lovers, greater than uh, Evil and Sonata. Bro, pure elitists don't even like New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is- That's funny. This- <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck is this? We, we want to watch all Japan. Bro, you know? They want to watch Big Japan. What are you talking about? I, I, you know? I'm sorry. I, 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 I screwed it up. But uh, made a bet of the evening. Okada and Osprey. I'm going Osprey. Will Osprey. Emphatically. Okada will have no losses up to this point of the tournament. He needs a loss somewhere. Osprey makes sense. Do you, do you think a draw is possible? I do think it's possible, but I think Osprey's winning. I think a draw is in play. Yeah. I think a draw is in play. Are you calling a draw? You know what? I think a draw's in play. I'm going to call a draw. <laughs> I'm going to be different. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to call a draw. I, look, I don't I don't hate that suggestion because um, like, if they were to give him the title match, there would be no time. Or it would be 60 minutes. Right. And then Oscar can say, if I had 30 more minutes. 
I could have won. I could beat you. And then, I'll tell you what. Now that Zach has beaten Okada, or I'm sorry, now that Zach didn't beat Okada, I know exactly who I think is beating Okada in the lead up to the finals, and Osprey's one of them. So yeah, I think Osprey's beating. Him. Yeah. All right, then we have uh, three questions here right before we get to the news and the recommended match of the week. Uh, so Dan Coffin, he says, do you think a new faction could work? If you were to start a new faction, which four wrestlers would you pick as founding members that can currently be in a faction? Yeah, I think a new faction would work. I think a new faction is called for. Um, there have been lots of talks about there potentially being a new faction. I mean, the last time there was a new faction was like, what, Taguchi Japan? Which right. is basically which just new- a derivative of Sekigun. Right. So uh, it's been a while. Yeah, I think a new faction could work. And honestly, I think the best option right now is to create that Chibata LA faction where you have um, Shibata in the manager role, you have Kenta, Goto, and the LA Young Lions. And I'll give them one more guy. Yeah, they need somebody else. Here's the thing, like small factions of like two top guys and then like n- nothing else don't typically tend to work out. They just kind of phase out over time. Mm-hmm. At least in New Japan that is. So they need more than more firepower well, than just that. This. What about Kota Ibushi? Yeah, Kota Ibushi leads a faction. Well, Kotobushi leading a faction is different than Kotobushi being part of this LA Dojo system. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I'm uh, not saying leading. I'm saying him being a part. I couldn't see him being a part of it. I could see him starting his own group if he if he wanted to. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm starting to feel like does Archer even belong in in Suzuki Goon anymore? Maybe he needs to be like the muscle of a new group or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll create a faction for you. I'll, I'll take Hiroshi Tanahashi. Kota Ibushi, Shota Umino, and Tomohiro Ishii. Oh my <laughs> How about that? Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. I can't pick four wrestlers off the top of my head, I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like they, they should go in that L.A. kind of dojo direction. I mean, if you know, if I'm picking a new faction, I'm going to go classic and I'm going to pick like a shooter gimmick. Some Inokius. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So the Inokiest, uh, it's going to be Zack Sabre Jr. And who else? And like Ren Narita. And who else would be in that group? God, I don't know. Uh, Kenta. I need to pick one other. Uh, Ishii. Ishii, <laughs> shooter. Yeah. I got a faction for you. It's going to be the Fly or Die faction. <laughs> You got, you got Will Ospreay, okay. Kota Ibushi, yep. Ishii, <laughs> and um, let's see, one more. Um, who, who would work in the fly or die? Um, Robo Takahashi? Yeah, there we go. How about this? Uh, the Death Rider Squad. Sure. John Moxley starts his own group. Everybody's freaking hardcore. They just have hardcore matches. Oh like him, Togi Makabe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, yeah, that's great. That's a good question. Um, another faction question here comes from Tyler Fornes. And shout out to him. We met him in Dallas and he helped, you know, set up that um, Super J Cast meetup at the uh, Buffalo Wild Wing. Uh, so that was a great time. But he says a new faction makes a lot of sense, but with new faction, usually comes a big time break off. Is a guy like Goto big enough to have to have be the defector for biggest possible impact? Um, no, probably not. But if you coupled it with somebody else, maybe. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Goto can be the second guy. Like, Gate, yeah, like the second guy. Like, Gato breaking off was a big deal, but, like, him breaking off with Jay White was a really big deal. So, I if if Goto did break off with, say, Kenta, hypothetically, because I know that's the group that most people are talking about, that would be a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if Goto was, like, to just strike off on his own, then they'd be jobbers, unfortunately. So, yeah. All right, last question. Actually, not the last question, but last question in this section comes from Chris Bryant, co-host of Grown Men Watch This Shit right here on the network. He says, My dog. With the respective attendances of Royal Quest versus G1 Opener in Dallas, do you think New Japan should scale back their efforts in the USA and focus more on the UK market? Also, who are your favorite UK and JPW wrestlers ever? Cough, Billy, Billy Robinson. Cough, cough. I really hate when people ask questions and then give the answer that I'm going to answer because I'm like, dang it, dang it, Chris, you answer the question for me. Like, of course it's Billy Robinson. Like, who else would I go with? Will Ospreay? No. Billy, Billy. <laughs> look, look, I'll do it. Will Ospreay. That's my favorite uh, British New Japan wrestler. Uh, I mean, like, my other answers would be, like, Rollerball Rocco or, like, maybe Dynamite Kid. But, like, no, it's Billy Robinson, easily. I, I haven't really seen much, so I got to go with, with, with Rich. Will Ospreay. Yeah, right. Uh, but what do we think about them? Should they be focusing more efforts in the UK versus US? I don't think so. Uh, well, I do think they need to focus more on the UK market because there's a void there that has been created by WWE. They've created this open gap that they don't even realize. They thought they shut everybody down, but they actually created an inroad for New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is excellent. They can just fill that gap. That's a battleground kind of place right now. And the US isn't really a war that New Japan can win. What they can do is replace Ring of Honor, though. I know that. I think the big problem for both... Uh, WWE and um, New Japan Pro Wrestling when it comes to the UK is like AEW got like the most cush like TV deal ever possible in UK so they're both probably beat already but with that being said there's that hardcore progress pro wrestling you know Rev Pro fan base they love New Japan Pro Wrestling and things have really been diminished because of the the whole UK scene being squashed last year. Dried up. So, with them doing this Royal Quest, I mean, he's right. They they've already sold more tickets than they drew for the G1 opener. Um, but that doesn't mean that they should scale back their efforts in in the US. They already committed to it. They've already had so many inroads. And I think these next two uh, tours that they're about to do are going to be a big deal. I just think that they need to. Um, have better focus and better marketing when it comes to both of them. But yeah, I think they need to focus on both markets. I mean, the reality is they need to focus on all three markets, the UK, the U S and scale up bigger in Japan. Yeah. Which means they might need to sign more talent. Well, I mean, they, they've been, they pulled Moxley out. They pulled, you know, their Kenta, you know, there's, and we've heard, I mean, we've heard from our, has the wallet open. Right. I, I think one of the biggest things here and, I don't know if people realize this. It's like, you know, Harold Mai had this goal of reaching a certain, you know, threshold for recurring revenue. And the only way it's going to happen, it's not going to happen through ticket sales. It's not going to happen through merchandise sales. It's not going to happen through New Japan World subscriptions. Though Those are all great. They need TV deals. That's what this whole business is built off of. Right. And, you know, they got the access deal, but that's not the most lucrative thing out there. They need they need better deals. They need yeah. a better TV deal in America. They need a better t- TV deal in the UK. 
and all this stuff builds towards that, so that's great. But they need better TV deals, and they need a better TV deal in Japan. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Like, doesn't their show come out at like three a.m. It's on bad, the weekend yeah. or something? Like, yeah. Yeah. How, how does a new person find out about like New Japan Pro Wrestling? How does a kid find out? Uh, before, but like before we move on, you guys both said Will Ospreay is your favorite UK wrestler. In New, New Japan? Japan. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'll put like Saber second. <laughs> Dynamite Kid, you know. <laughs> Bill Robinson. I've I've probably seen like one Billy Robinson match that you oh showed God. me. I don't think I've ever showed you Bill Robinson, but I love him. You showed me some of that, some kind of grapple, yeah, world of uh, sport, something. I, I saw I saw Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi. I, I'll take Will Ospreay. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw Bill Robinson versus Antonio Inoki, and I'll take Bill Robinson. All right, so let's move on to the news. So we got the news here. So um, for those of you that are not in the know, our Pick'em contest is closed. But New Japan Pro Wrestling is still holding their own Pick'em contest until, believe this or not, August 7th. So um, all you have to do at this point in time, and the the official rules are on the NJPW uh, 1972 uh, webpage. You also can find the information on their uh, official Twitter as well as their um, Instagram, but all you have to do is accurately predict the finalists of the G1 Climax. I think once they take all the people that got it accurate, they're going to pick a winner. So you have a pretty good chance of winning if you just wait till August 7th and then pick the winners that you think are most accurate at that point in time. Um, after that, we also have news. So uh, the Wrestling Observer... Uh, Newsletter and our Wrestling Observer Radio. They, uh, um, Dave Meltzer reported this past week that there's a report going out that Chris Charlton is no is basically being told not to offer any sort of commentary on the nights that he is uh, employed with New Japan Pro Wrestling. That they strictly want him to be translation only. And uh, the the interesting thing with this is that from what he's reported. New Japan Pro Wrestling is super high on Chris Charlton. It's not a directive from them. He, he wasn't able to say specifically who the directive came from. He did hypothesize that maybe it's from TV Asai. My thinking, though, is that that doesn't make sense because why would they care when they're Japanese-language television? What if it's from Axis? Because that makes way more sense to me because they're using the, Jap- or the New Japan World feed mm. on their television. And what if they don't like the sound of Chris Charlton's voice? Because that has been something people have talked about. That he doesn't have a commentator's voice, that sort of thing. I think that's abs- that's insane. And this guy offers so much value as far as like stories and everything. He's like Mike Tanay. And yes, it, he actually put out a tweet an hour ago. Uh, so it's kind of like news on the air where he seems to kind of confirm this. So he tweeted, "Not used to being news. Thanks for kind words. Flattered to the point of embarrassment, but I'm not going anywhere and never was." Rocky and Kevin will continue to knock it out the park on a nightly basis. I'm excited to support at points throughout. See you at Corkin. So that seems to be like yeah. a confirmation, yeah, yeah. Because there there have been people who have said, um, well, apparently he was dealing with a sickness, and they're like, well, he's been battling the flu, so that's why you we're hearing him less. And so there's speculations he's just sick, and that's why he's not talking as much. But that being the case, it's like, well. I know that, for instance, I don't believe – I'm not going to sit here and say everything that Dave ever reports is 100% accurate. But I've been you know, subscribing to the newsletter and to listening to his podcast for a long time. When it comes to a, re- a report like this, if it was just speculation, he would say this is speculation. 
he wouldn't put his reputation on the line and say, I heard this verbatim, this is what's happening. And that's exactly what he did here. He was like, they were told not to feature Chris Charlton as much. So it's interesting that you just brought up that that tweet. Um, and I think that if that's true... It oh, is, that ain't nothing but code that he put out. Right. That's, yeah. that, if that is true and it sounds like it is based on what you just said, and that's we've been waiting to hear a response from him, that's a travesty. Yeah, you know, we had uh, Muzza and Zach Porter asking our, our thoughts on this situation. Like you said, it's a travesty. Chris, it's like a book of knowledge. He knows so much about the history of New Japan. He, he wrote the book. Right, right. The, the Eggshells book, and he just adds like And that. he's willing to play ball with you. Right. And Lion's Pride. Both books. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, he, he'll take Fale, you know, dumping water on him, knocking stuff over. Uh, he just he adds a different twist to the commentary. Um, and I thought he was a great addition. I mean, we interviewed him here around this time last year, and I just think he he's excellent on commentary. And it's, it's a damn shame that uh, he's not going to be able to fully um, utilize utilize him. Last year, Chris Charlton was pretty much in just a translator role and was offering very little commentary. It wasn't until the finals of the G1 Climax that he started to voice his, you know, find his voice more and actually commentate a bit. Mm-hmm. And some of the calls that he made during that match it was between Tanahashi and, and Ibushi was, like you said, an all-time performance. Now, there have been times where we have tried to use, from time to time, if there's a big call, we'll try to use some of the audio. And I'll admit there are times where his voice is a little grating. This is coming from somebody that doesn't have a broadcaster's voice myself. So I get it. Um, and maybe he doesn't have the sound that, that a big-time company like TV Acai or Access TV is looking for. But the fan base, the people that are listening to this podcast, the people that are paying for New Japan World subscriptions, almost unanimously, we love Chris Charlton. So if you're listening to Access TV or TV Acai, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. We like this guy. And he offered. He literally is part of this product. He's as integral as Kevin Kelly at this point. Yeah, yeah. He, he, and that's before you get into uh, the fact that he speaks the language and translates. Um, <laughs> but it, like, as like a bonus to the wealth of knowledge that that he offers. So, if it was my company, <laughs> we'd be featuring this gentleman. Exactly. Um. But yeah, it, they they need to do something. They need to, to rectify the situation and get Chris fully utilized. Yeah. Anyway. Get, get my dog to the pay window. Yeah. And uh, question from a Reddit user, Eater of Bread. He says, if we wish to get Chris Shelton back on commentary, who would we best to write to voice our displeasure with the decision? The IWGB committee. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't even know who... Like, who would be the best point person to go? I guess maybe New Japan, like find a way to send a letter to New Japan. But I want to say, if you're going to send a letter, don't come out here with some like crazy, you know, yeah. expedite letter. Like write a professional, like right. concerned worded I, letter. I think there might be cause for an actual like um, petition. Petition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and did we cover Zach's question as well? Yeah, he was pretty much asking for thoughts and comments on the on the. Chris Charlton report. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, that's our thoughts on it. Hopefully that this is a temporary setback and and they give him the liberty to do what he does best. Um, in other news, Wrestle Kingdom 14 uh, general sale in Tokyo, is that's already begun. We, we already talked about how the pre-sales for here in the U.S. have already started as well. 
So Wrestle Kingdom tickets are on sale now. It started. Boom. Go on and get them. Also, the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour tickets will be going on sale in about, what, 10 days on uh, July 26, 2019. So those of you that are wanting those tickets, they're going to go fast. So, you know, be on the lookout. You know, you've got a little over a week before that happens. And I don't think um, they're going to have trouble moving those in yeah. that area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we'll talk about that. But uh, <laughs> um, the Road to Power Struggle and Super Junior Tag League dates are announced. We'll cover that at a different time. But um, we do know now that the Super Junior Tag League will not be returning to the single elimination tournament format. But it will be another league uh, round-robin tournament. We don't know if there's going to be one block or multiple blocks. But it will be a league format once again. Yay. Um, <laughs> more on that as we get more information. Um, in other news, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling last year, they launched the King of uh, Sports uh, mobile app game. And for those of you that have been playing it, it looks like they haven't updated it in a long time. That game has officially been announced that they're going to be discontinuing it and canceling Woo, it awesome. on August 21st. So for those of you that still play, you've got a, a, like a little over a month and that game's going to be gone. Finish your storyline or whatever. <laughs> but I, I downloaded that thing and it... Killed my battery. It made my phone yeah, run slow. It, it was horrible. It was horrible. Have you guys heard rumors that maybe Yux is working on a new Japan game? I have not. There is there is confirmation that Yux is working on a wrestling game, and it is not WWE. I've heard. I mean, the Young Bucks have mentioned yeah. AEW game coming. Yep. There could be spe- that. There, but there is speculation it could be an AEW game. The only thing with that is. Are they ready for a game now? Because it seems like they've been developing this for a little while. There is a possibility it's a New Japan game. I mean, whether or not, either one, I'm, I'm down. Either one, I'll, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Because New Japan did just have the Fire Pro connection, so I don't yep. know yeah. how much they want to jump into that thing again. But Also, um, this past week, on July 11th, we uh, you know just passed the anniversary of Shinya Hashimoto's death. Uh, Shinya Hashimoto, for those of you who are unfamiliar what up until probably Okada and Tanahashi was considered the greatest IWGP champion of all time, one of the former true aces of New Japan Pro Wrestling, one of the greatest wrestlers in Purezu history. He died at a very young age, unexpectedly. Um, this past week, um, uh, Yuji Nagata had some very heartfelt messages, uh, him as well as other wrestlers, but if you get a chance, check out his Twitter timeline, and he wrote quite a bit about his experience, um, you know, working with Shinya Hashimoto and the guidance he got from him. And, uh, you know, we always want to kind of remember that. Uh, this past week in London, Hyper Japan had uh, was an event that celebrated the best in Japanese uh, culture. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling had a booth there for the first time ever. I did see that they had Andy Boy Simmons as well as Hikaleo from RevPro uh, representing at the New Japan Pro Wrestling booth. Uh, from July 12th to July 14th. I even saw uh, Undoubtedly Dean. Yeah, our boy Undoubtedly Dean. Jack Dean was out there. Yeah, he was out there amongst other people that we know. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's pretty cool. Just like, New J- like you know, we talked about New Japan having a, a more of a presence in the UK, and that's pretty awesome. Um, the free match of the week is Tomohiro Ishii versus uh, Hiroki Goto from last year's G1. This did get five stars from Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and it was one of the top matches of an all-time classic tournament. If you haven't seen this match, go out of your way to watch it. It's free this week. Um, there was interviews this week. Uh, Juice Robinson was on Wrestling Observer Radio. I highly recommend you listen to this uh, interview. 
it was much better than the interview that we got from him during the media <laughs> scrum. But very, very, very insightful and probably one of the only like uh, G1 competitors you're going to see an interview from this, this week because everyone's in the thick of it right now. Talk is Jericho this past Friday uh, released an episode uh, in tribute to Paco Alonso. I thought it was a really yeah, good... Yeah, I heard that. It was excellent. A, yeah, it was excellent. excellent. Great episode, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, Paco Alonso, the uh, deceased former president of CMLL who just recently passed unexpectedly. If you get a chance, check that out. And then on uh, the NJPW 1972 website, they had interviews and write-ups uh, uh, interviewing Shingo Takagi as well as Low IQ Ichi, who is – he did the music this uh, year for the theme for uh, the G1 Climax. I like it. It's laughs. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, he has, like, connections with Tanahashi and Shibata, and he actually did Shibata's music in the past. Mm, he needs to make that new Osprey. Yeah. yeah. Um, in other news, uh, CMLL has announced their president as being the 28-year-old female daughter of um, Paco Alonso, Sophia, Sophia Alonso, which is a shock to the wrestling world. Yeah, I think she's like what in the late twenties. They got a woman in her late twenties taking she's over. Twenty eight. Yeah, taking over the uh, CMLL, one of the oldest wrestling and companies. Before she was like, I, the way I heard it, she was just like a figurehead kind of face of the company before, kind of like a Stephanie, Stephanie McMahon, McMahon yeah. like type group. So it, it's like imagine if like Vince croaked and actually Stephanie was going to be in charge. Yeah. That's kind of the equivalent here. It so. is. It is shocking to people. You know, CMLL, whether people realize or not, is one of the biggest wrestling companies in the entire world it is the oldest wrestling company in the entire world and they draw they every draw week from the same arena yeah <laughs> so it's real interesting to see what kind of changes this might bring about i can't speak to say that i know how this is going to go or even speak to have too much knowledge of this but she did grant a rare interview on national mexican television this past week uh the transcripts of that are available online if you want to check it out but uh you know very interesting yeah, I, I noticed, though, they'll, they'll do good on the overhead of the buildings. <laughs> uh, this Friday, the 20th of July, Ring of Honor is going to be running their Manhattan Mayhem uh, event. Uh, we talked about previously that the Briscoes and G.O.D. will be having a tag team title match. It's going to be a street fight as well. Uh, Dragon Lee will be having a match with Jonathan Gresham, which is Gresham a heel now? Is that confirmed on the TV? Uh, I haven't been watching the TV, so I have no idea. Okay. Welcome <laughs> up, Dragon Lee. <laughs> now, the interesting thing with this, there's two things. Um, Honor Club has announced this week that for any, or Ring of Honor has announced that anybody that has Honor Club, they're going to start live streaming all television tapings. So all events like Manhattan Mayhem, which would be previously distributed as part of their television you know tapings you're actually gonna be able to watch it live as an honor club member which is pretty nice but with that being said if you haven't seen the ticket sales for manhattan mayhem which is gonna be held in the hammerstein ballroom are terrible yeah it's not looking good now i don't have an official number here but i will say this the top balcony this is a building that they have close to sold out almost every time they've run it for years and years they had to close the entire top balcony, and if you go online and try to buy tickets for this, there are a lot of blue seats. Bro. I actually counted; it's over 500 seats I was right say, now. The, the only map with more blue on it is a crip neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and this is very interesting because you know this is one of the buildings that, in a few months, New Japan's going to be running as part of their tour, and that is crazy. Like these are direct competitive tactics i'm reading death of the territories right now right <laughs> and 
this is a move out of that you know wrestling history. People you, yeah, that you align with or whatever, you align with them. You, you get what you can out of them, and then eventually you compete. And it's a Vince McMahon tactic. That's yeah. what it looks like. Be like, be like you can either get down or lay down. Yeah. So we will keep you posted. I mean, it might not be very much longer that we stop talking about Ring of Honor on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the Summer Supercard event, which is going to be hosted by the NWA as well as Ring of Honor, uh, they did announce that G.O.D. is signed to compete. Uh, it is interesting that they are going to be defending their tag title soon. I bet you they're probably going to drop it to the Briscoes. So they probably will not be Ring of Honor champions by the time the Summer Supercard comes around. But they are signed to compete. They also announced the competitors for the CMLL six-man tag. It's going to be Carissico, Soberano Jr., and Stuka Jr. versus Barbaro Cavernario, Hechicero, and Templario. That should be pretty good. That sounds awesome. Also, Alex Shelley is making his return, and he will be challenging whoever the Ring of Honor champion is at, at that time, whether it's Matt Taven or Jay Lethal. Given this company, they're probably just going to keep going with Matt Taven. My God. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the final bit of news... Jun Akiyama, who is the longtime uh, serving president of All Japan Pro Wrestling, has stepped down from his presidency. Uh, it was recently announced it will be taking place officially in October. He will be stepping into a general manager role, helping talent within the company, but he said that he no longer wants to serve as the president. Uh, he did help save All Japan when they were going through a struggling period, but business has kind of tapered off in recent years. And it seems like the board is kind of unhappy with that, so they're going to go in a different direction as far as their presidency goes. Junakiyama is expected to stay on as uh, you know a talent with them, but he is one of those guys, kind of like Nagata, kind of like Liger, who's got enough tenure. He can go anywhere he wants and do whatever he wants. So, I mean, it's not completely... Un- like, it wouldn't be completely unheard of if we saw him in a New Japan ring at some point in the near future. Or anywhere else. Or anywhere yeah. else. <laughs> and that's going to do it for the news. And so we're going to wrap up this show. The recommended match of the week. This was going to be Jeremy's week, but it looks like he has ceded that to Rich Latta. So, Rich, what do you got for us? Yes. One of my favorite matches of all time. Probably one of the – one of my is in my top ten for sure. Not really sure how much higher. Uh, I would have to go back and look. But your recommended match of the week – the 2017 G1 final between Tetsuya Naito and Kenny Omega. Mm, that's Just great. an absolute barn burner of a match. Ridiculously fast-paced, dangerous, live atmosphere. Everything you want, everything I want out of wrestling. It, for my money, is the best G1 final ever. Uh, very... I really, 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 really love last year's final. I do. I do love last year's final. Bushi and Tanahashi, man. And and I I see them on the same level. That's that's the... But they're completely different kind of matches. Completely different kind of matches, yes. If, like... I remember watching it, and then I did a show with Mike Sempervivi that day after. And it was just like, I need to watch this match again. And... When I originally watched it, I caught it live. I didn't have to, uh, you know, go back and get spoiled or watch it later. I happened to get up at 4:50 a.m. I'll never forget. I was like, 
uh, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom real quick, and then I'll check if it's on. Like, cause I, you know, was much more of a novice back then, like not knowing the exact times. I'll check if it's on. Load it up on my tablet. They're standing in the ring. They just rang the bell, and I'm like, "Let's get to it." And it was just like, you know, I was I was hoping Kenny would win. He didn't win, uh, but still, that match is just like. Here's the thing. There's two very defined fan bases that were very vocal. In recent memory, when it comes to New Japan fandom, you have your LIJ traditionalist fans, and then you have your elite Bullet Club wearing shirt, you know, fans. This is a match that appeases both of them because you've got mm-hmm. Omega at the height of his performance, and then you have Naito at the height of his performance, but also going over. So it basically makes everybody happy. So it's like that happy medium, but you know. Taking nothing away from the match, this is one of the most incredible matches from a year where New Japan peaked when it came to in-ring quality, in-ring star-like potential. Uh, you know, we talk so much about Omega and Okada, but man, those o- Omega and Naito matches are just so fantastic, and this might be the best of them. Uh, yeah, I gotta agree with you. It's one of the greatest G1 final matches of all time, and it's maybe one of, at least in recent memory, one of the best New Japan matches ever. Yeah, yeah. You don't gotta convince me to watch the Kenny Omega match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's great. So check out that recommended match of the week. Even if you've watched it, watch it again. Yes, it's a great right back. one. You watch that Flair that Flair Mudo match yet? Which one? The one I recommended last week. I did not. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't watch it either. I don't want to lie to you in your home. <laughs> do you think anybody's actually watching our recommended matches? Someone was like, you guys should do recommended matches. Do you think anyone's watching these recommended matches? Guys, if you're, watching, guys, if you're watching these recommended matches, tweet us. Let us know because we want to know. Yeah. That way we don't have to put in this time thinking of these recommended <laughs> matches. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Rich, thanks again for joining us this week. No doubt. Thank you for coming on the show, Rich. Josh, thank you for the claws. Yeah. <laughs> you want to plug anything for you? Yeah, man. Um, check out uh, One Nation Radio, where I'm not talking about WWE much, uh, except after like big shows. And, I want to uh, say, I'm really enjoying One Nation Radio these days. <laughs> it's a much better show. I've always enjoyed it for all these years, but man, something's changed recently. There's a there's a new energy, yep. some good content. Yep. Talking about, talk about stardom. Yeah. AEW, New Japan. This is this stuff is just making me happy. You know, I don't have to just like <laughs> murder it like with my like how I can dissect the product and what I always see what they're doing in WWE. And it's like some of it borders on conspiracy theory shit, right? <laughs> but that's a that's literally the brand of the show. So I can't I can't wait till we get Rich's Friday Night CMLL Arena Mexico reviews. Oh yes. my god, uh, be great. yeah, man. But uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter. Uh, check James out at jamesway 7 um, Check out everyone on Social Media Podcast Network. We're all trying to do our thing here. Uh, get it popping. And if you like music, you know, you'll see all the links and stuff on my Twitter. And uh, give it a listen. I actually owned a guy and talked myself into an album sale uh, yeah, saw, the other day on that, Twitter. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that, was, that was pretty fun. So if, if you go to my Twitter at RichLab32, you can find that exchange, and you'll get some kicks out of it as well. Nice. Well, next week we'll be back with reviews of nights 5, 6, and 7 of the G1 Climax 29. 
Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow Rich at RichLada32. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also join us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style, and Rich is RichLada32. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boy. Yeah. Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown men watch this shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, well, maybe, we have uh, NXT then, now, and forever. <laughs> on Fridays, we have Get in the Ring. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Amy O. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. I think you mean NXT now, then, and whenever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.